Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Here we are. We are. Uh, it's been a little minute. We've uh, we've just been busy with a lot of stuff. Mm, we we've been doing film weeks and Oscar stuff. And uh, it's that time of the year. It's that time of the year. The year. It's uh, we're recording this now. Actually, it is March first, and uh, this will probably go up March second. And then on March third, Tim and I will be on stage at the Orpheum Theater in Los Angeles with the rest of our film week colleagues doing our annual uh, uh, LAist Film Week Oscar preview show, mm. and then. In a little over a week, uh, the big awards will be handed out. So uh, without uh, spilling any of your good stuff for Sunday, Tim, what are your feelings about this uh, this year's Oscars? Well, we're back, we're back to big movies, aren't we? I mean, um, uh, and, I, and I know there's some interesting uh, indies um, uh, nominated in American fiction, this, that, and the other thing. But we're basically back to big, 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 big movies. Some people would say, no, that happened last year. No, no, not like this year. Uh, Billion-dollar box office movies, Martin Scorsese sissy films, uh, you know, as big as movies can get are what we're back to uh, this year. I uh, so I've got a new Substack, by the way. For anybody who's listening, oh, sweet, come yeah. on over, come on over and uh, and sign up for the Substack. Uh, do, do the unpaid to start. Listen, see, read read what I'm doing, and then uh, sign up for paid if you want. But um, it is it is Hollywood Heretic. Mm. So go to hollywoodheretic.substack.com. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Hollywoodheretic.substack.com. Um, I did a two piece, um, a two part piece over there where I, I, I have developed a new metric. I call it the, um, the NIT scale, the NIT, uh, rating, N-I-T-T for nominees in top 10. Mm-hmm. And, and here's how I, here's how my grading works. And I did this specifically to analyze this year. If you look at every year, the, the, uh, top nominated films and then the top grossing films if there is a top 10 film a top 10 grossing film that is nominated for best picture you assign one point and if at the end of the oscars the film which won best picture is also a top 10 nominated a top 10 grossing film you assign two points and if the top grossing film of the year the number one grossing film of the year is also a nominated film, but without winning, you assign two points. Mm-hmm. If the number one grossing film of the year actually wins Best Picture, 
then you assign five points. Mm. So for a, a traditional field of five, you're, you, you max out at 10 points. So anyway, I did this to sort of analyze all the Oscar years, and you can see everything fall off a cliff around, around about 1991, 1992, right? Mm. Indies come in, and these nit, my nit ratings collapse. But the nit rating right now for this year because of Oppenheimer and Barbie is off the chart. It's the highest that it's been since 1997 with Titanic, which is mm. way, mm. way off the chart. And, and here's the, here's a more interesting little nerdy tidbit. Cause I was sitting there the other day. This is what, you know, other people will like go to bed or they'll, <laughs> or they'll, or they'll drink or they'll do some other thing. I sit there and I look at movie data because I'm an idiot. So this is what I, this is what I, I, I just, I'm like, I, I got to figure there's something here. Because Barbie was the number one movie of the year, mm-hmm. Oppenheimer the number three. Oppenheimer the number one film in terms of nominations, Barbie number four. Mm. Both of them are top five for grossing and top five for nominations. Mm. The last time that happened was 1991. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The last time it happened where it included the number one grossing film and the number one nominated film was Kramer versus Kramer in 1979. Oh, okay, okay. So this is where we are. We're in a really interesting place. I mean, it, it could just be a one-off, but I don't feel like it is. I feel like we're turning the corner on something here. The, 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 the just being that um, popular movies that, uh, that make a whole lot of money at the box office are likely both nominees and winners yeah. uh, of major Academy Awards. I mean, did I, did I just get up right? That's it. That's it. Where, because, because it used to be, and, and I go into the details there, because I went back and looked and I compared the top grocers to the top, um, uh, to the Oscar nominees. And I mean, you have years where it's like four or all five of the best picture nominees are top 10 films. And some mm. of them are like, like 1962 is unreal. Lawrence of Arabia was the number two film of the year at one best picture, but the films it beat included number one, number three, number four, and number six. Mm. So it was like, box office gross. Yeah. Box office, like five of the top six grossing films of the year became the best picture nominees. That's when people watch it on TV. Mm. Like son of a gun, look, I went and saw all of these. I'm going to see these on TV. Yeah, you know, and, and, and thus we have a situation again where, and, well, at, at least Barbie and Oppenheimer, and very possibly uh, uh, to some extent, Killers of the Flower Moon, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which still actually did well at the box office, uh, uh, and to some, will are, are big, big movies with major movie stars uh, and major directors. Uh, you might even t- toss toss Maestro in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and or, so you have really perhaps at least four. Pictures that lots and lots and lots of people have seen, and certainly of the top two, that one and that four, that box office. Who's that? Who's that number two in that box office? Uh, from this last year, I. Yeah. Oh boy, that's a hold on. Uh, right behind Barbie, I want to so, say it was. Was the animated Spider-Verse? Was that Spider-Verse? Yeah, it the Spider-Verse, yeah. Okay, interesting, interesting. Which, of course, is nominated in the animated category. Interesting, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. or, or, or Mario Brothers? I don't, I can't remember. Anyway, it was, it was something blockbustery, but, you know, we're all kind of focused on Barbie and Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's Barbenheimer all over again at the Oscars, right? It's, it's, it's fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it definitely feels like a turning point. Um, we'll see. This year has a lot of interesting stuff happening. Dune getting out of the way 
in November and December, I think is the best, best Christmas gift that Oppenheimer could have had. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, Dune would have given Oppenheimer a real run of it for its money, at least in tech categories. But I think now it looks like it's just wide open Oppenheimer. Well, yeah. Um, uh, you, 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 look, a lot of things. Uh, you had a shot there for a while. He kills the flower moon. Uh, yeah. uh, Maestro, as we say, uh, as time has, has, has ticked on, I think it has sort of um, wound down to those two big films in, in terms of that best picture category anyway. Yeah. Um, best director, um, uh, I, I suppose. I suppose probably Chris has a, a fairly large lock on that. But then again, uh, Greta, Greta's not nominated. I just want to no. look. Yeah, you, so there you go. So look, if she were nominated now, then I, I don't believe that he would have a, a lock because I, for one, if she were nominated, it would suggest that the Academy thinks that it's worthy. Um, uh, uh, so, but given that she's not nominated, I think he does have a lock. So a lot of, a lot of times people would be talking about Scorsese, but I just, no, not a lock this year for him. For sure. It's like no one, no one, is, it's, it feels like this is, like he's due, right? This is his Schindler's List moment. This is the one. We're yeah. going to give it to him for this one, because if not this one, then which? You know, and, and it's, it's his most serious film. It's his highest grossing film. And I think people want to reward him for this in hopes that he makes more of these and, and fewer films like, you know, Tenant and freaking, you know, all the all the puzzly, weird, you know, uh, sci-fi things. This is, uh, you know, this is like a more grown-up version of Christopher Nolan. I think this is where everybody wants him to live from here on out. Yeah, yeah interesting. So it's going to be a real interesting year. Well, anyway, if you're if you're in LA and uh, there's still tickets, uh, come on down to the Orpheum on Sunday. What is it? One mm-hmm. o'clock that we we go on stage? Yeah, one o'clock is when we hit the stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, one o'clock. It's going to be great. It's gonna be terrific. We're all gonna we're all gonna make fun of each other, and uh, we all get along. You know, we do get along. We have fun, even though even though you know Charles and Justin get into it. <laughs> the funny thing is, is when Charles and Justin are on opposite ends, and all the rest of us are in the middle. Yeah, kind of looking left or right, right, say something nasty, and Justin will smile, and you're like, "Gosh, guys, I'm gonna get whiplash if you keep." <laughs> um, I think they see us that way on purpose. I really do. It'll be interesting. Justin and I might have an interesting moment because Justin's not a particular fan of American fiction, of which I am a very big fan. He's not really. Justin's not not a, not a particular fan of American fiction. So you know, well, this is, so, yeah, well he's, he's, he has a PC. You know, he talks about it, and and I, and I think I have an, an interesting reply to that. So we'll we'll, we'll see okay. what happens. <laughs> I'm dying to hear that because you know I love American fiction. Yeah, I yes. love everything about that movie. I mean, I just I it it doesn't have a shot, but it's no. uh, what I what I love about it is it won it won the Toronto Film Festival Audience Award. It got its Best Picture nomination. Cord Jefferson, first time writer director for of a feature, long time mm-hmm. TV writer, mm-hmm. but it puts him right now. He's in the mix. Right mm-hmm. now, his career is off to the races. Uh, Jeffrey Wright won Best Actor at the Spirit Awards. So you know, like it's. It, it just it's rewarding a lot of the right people and I'm I'm just glad that you know I'm glad anytime there's a writer director of Cord Jefferson's talent who gets it is is now thrown into the mix. So now we've got, you know, another one of those hyphenate threats who's going to make more great movies and people are going to give him money and I think that's great. Yeah, 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 I agree completely. Cord, uh, you know, because of the way that it, it, it's all shaped, Cord, one of five directors uh, yeah. in that director's thing, he's not nominated. Now, it was funny, I had this conversation with uh, Alan as we were on the show today, when they were, oh, is anybody in snub, snub? Cord, not snubbed. 
No. Uh, you know, the movie nominated. nominated. It's not a screenplay nomination. Yeah. Perfectly correct. Best director nomination? No. And not a snub. It absolutely isn't a snub. Now, I'm not a big fan of the notion of snubs to begin no, with. Not either. So, so sometimes, you know, you're just not nominated. <laughs> That's somebody's all it is. Gotta, somebody's got to come in sixth. It's just, you know, it's just, you know, it's just not nominated. That's all that was. Uh, yeah, but you weren't snubbed. I'm not sure about Greta. Maybe. <laughs> it might have been snubbed. But, I, but, I but think, you know, it. here's why. I think, I look, I think people look at, uh, at films, I mean, something has to come in sixth, right? Not yeah, everything yeah. can be top five. But I think people look at a film like um, American Fiction and they think, well, it's a writer's piece. You know, mm-hmm. right? It's like a lot of Woody Allen movies. Woody is always, almost always gets nominated for writing them, not necessarily for directing, because Woody is seen as more a writer. Mm-hmm. directs these screenplays, but the, the core part of the film is the writing. It's not like a Christopher Nolan film where it's the, it's the direction. And, and I think if they look at something like Barbie and they say, well, that's, that's a producer's piece. Right. Mm-hmm. That's where that movie really came together was in it was in the producing of it. So let's give Margot and and, uh, you know, let's give Greta the screenplay and let's give Margot the producing. And, you know, it's not really a great directed movie. It's not really a great writ- uh, or uh, acted movie, but we'll give them the other pieces. I think they compartmentalize. And, you know, you, we can disagree with that. But I think Academy voters compartmentalize those things. Is this a producer's piece? Is this a writer's piece? Is this an actor's piece? Is this a director's piece? And that's where I think they, they come to, sometimes come down in those compartmentalizations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, let's let's just talk about some of the people who uh, who kicked off for us. Uh, not a ton in the last few weeks, but uh, we did lose Don Murray, mm. legendary old. time. I didn't even realize Don Murray was still with us. To be honest, that's one of your holy cow, really. Ninety four years old, dude. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, bus stop, of course, opposite Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, uh, both of them ridiculously young and beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the next time I really think about Don Murray is when he plays that dad in Endless Love um, um, uh, with young, young, yeah. young, young, yeah. young Brooke Shields. Uh, yeah. He plays her dad in that movie and, 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 and a few other things. But around a long time, Don Murray, a stalwart guy. Yeah. And I don't know. Did we mention that Glennis Johns had passed away? Did we? Did, did we I don't. I don't. I do not remember. To, no, I don't think we did. Because Glennis Johns died on just right after the first of the year on January fourth. She was a hundred years old. The wonderful Glennis Johns, who was of course uh, Mrs. Banks and Mary Poppins, but mm-hmm. made so many other wonderful British films. She was a hundred. She was in a rest home in uh, in Northridge, man, not too far from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that you could have popped in and seen her. <laughs> she and she was she was so she was saucy. Uh, if, if, if she could be very saucy, yeah. and, you know, we think about her, her really young, those old yeah. parts and the yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so you know, mermaid and yeah, yeah. Sometimes we forget and we 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 get to know these people as as older performers and we forget. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> they had a little heat heat going back in the day. And then uh, we lost Carl Weathers. Which, yeah, uh, is that's a tough one. Um, I, I thought we'd have him for a good long time, and that that really just broke my heart. You know, and a lot of it just had to do with his physical presence, that stature in the Mandalorian most recently. He was just solid as a rock, and I'm thinking, I think Carl could take me. I, dude, I I saw Carl Weathers once. Um, it walking into CVS Pharmacy in Pacific Palisades. And, uh, you know, I was on the sidewalk and, and he just, he, he parked and got out of his car that I felt so small and just weak <laughs> must have been, I mean, he must have been 60 at the time. Right. 
and yeah. didn't didn't look it. He was just the, like the physique. And and this is the thing: you have got to be a confident man to wear those yoga pants. <laughs> you know what I'm like that's what he was wearing. He was basically wearing those tight fitting yoga pants, which no man would be caught <laughs> dead in unless you are Carl Weathers and you can pull that off. Yeah, at the legs and the glutes and the muscle and the arms and the whole thing. And you just and it was he just he was such an impressive physical specimen. And that's the only time I ever interfaced with him physically. I didn't even talk to him or anything. I was just I was like, holy cow! It's, it's, it's Carl Weathers. It's like, and, and you just kind of <laughs> back for a moment and looking at the yoga pants. I'm like, you pull it off. You pull that off, brother. You pull yeah, it off. Yeah, hey, all them squats uh, getting ready for Predator uh, back there in the 80s. And then, yeah. of course, Carl had that really lovely, you know, in association, you know, mostly with Adam Sandler and the Farley Brothers, Fairly Brothers, and yeah. uh, that little comedy twist to his career, uh, which I just thought was great, you know, that uh, with that hand, that hand, the guy with the one, oh, alligator hit my hand. It, it was just, that's, just, that's just a little great twist to his career. And then, uh, you know, some, some, some late career money on the Mandalorian. Uh, yes, a lot of love right there. That is. And, uh, you know, even something like Action Jackson, which caught a lot of flack, right? Yeah, yeah. The Rocky films were obviously what really made him a, a star because you had to have somebody who could, who, who could hold the screen opposite Rocky. You're, we're rooting for Rocky. So do we have to? Is he the villain? Well, oddly enough, he's not. That's what I think makes Rocky and Rocky 2 and mm-hmm. Rocky 3 and 4 mm-hmm. such interesting movies is because their, their relationship is complicated. So he's not Darth Vader to, to Rocky's Luke Skywalker. No. He, he's, he's a, he is the world heavyweight champion in Rocky. He beloved. Is, he is beloved, and he has earned that. And Rocky is just a schlubby pretender. And, you know, I mean, spoiler here for anybody who hasn't seen Rocky. <laughs> you know, it's, it's 50 years old, so I hope you have. But, but you know, Rocky doesn't win. Yeah. Rocky survives. And... And the, and and you do have to give props to to Weathers because uh, he won, right? He did his job. He this is why he's heavyweight champion in there, and and Apollo Creed is a beloved character, even though he's technically an antagonist. That is a weird, tough, complicated place to put an actor. Yeah, and um. And you know, uh, he to bring him back for 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 four straight films. I mean, it's it is uh, um, it's quite a thing. And he, he pulled on obviously in the Creed films. I was gonna say he pulls it off so beautifully that just the name of the character is heroic enough to spawn an entire just the, the, the word Creed. Is, so it's really so you know, yeah. good work, it's, Carl. Uh, it was it was an amazing career, and I'm so sorry that he's gone. Um, you know, he will be terribly missed. Started as an athlete. He was a football player originally. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, followed in the in the footsteps of... Uh, Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Who started all that. And we talked about that some, some months ago on the show. So, and then lastly, just within the past day, we lost Richard Lewis. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yep. um, you know, he was not necessarily everybody's cup of tea as a comic because he was so angst-ridden. I know a lot of people that just, they couldn't watch him when he'd show up on The Tonight Show. It was too much. It was like his anxiety <laughs> was not funny to them. It was, it made them anxious. So they had to turn it off because all he would do was come on and go, I don't know, you know, I got, I, 
I, I, I, I can't get a date. And he, and he just started complaining about everything. Um, and, uh, <laughs> the thing with the head, with the hair, the head, my hair. And, but, but it was, you know, he came from that amazing generation of comics. We were just talking about this before the show. It's there. They come after, obviously, the, the priors and the Carlins and even before them, the, you know, the, the, the great, uh, the, the great original comics from the fifties who were on TV, but, but they, it's Richard Lewis, it's Gary Shandling, Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, that's, that's the class of comics that came out of that. Joan Rivers, even Mm -hmm. from from that group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a really, really interesting class of comics. They, uh, they, they carried on a great tradition, but they also kind of gave their own modern spin to it. And, and Lewis had a really, really fascinating career, both as a stand-up and an actor. And um, I'm really sorry that he's gone prematurely. I know he was just shy of 80, but um, I felt like he had another good another 10 years in him. No, yeah. Look, uh, yeah, Leighton Buffett's career from all those appearances on Curb Your Enthusiasm yeah. opposite. Yeah. Larry David, what you, you talk about uh, intense and hard to watch. Yeah. The shit that Larry does. Oh my gosh. Uh, and the shit that Richard, and when they were in a scene together, it's almost like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, and he did have some real good acting chops. I remember he did. Yes, he him did. being particularly good in, in, in uh, leaving Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple, couple of scenes, just a couple of scenes in this dramatic film. He's very dramatic. He's just excellent in that. And of course, that long run on a really good, but sometimes forgotten sitcom, Anything But Love, opposite, uh, I think it was Jamie Lee Curtis, if I'm not mistaken. You know, this show for ran for four or five years. It's a very, yeah. I don't see that sitcom very much out there. It was really sexy and really smart. Uh, and he looked great on that show. I had no idea that he was like almost 15 years older than Jamie Lee Curtis on that show. So, you know, Richard Lewis, uh, excellent work and a great legacy. Well, so on that note, let's let's shift it yeah. to DVDs and Blu-rays. Yeah, man. Um, and, you know, a lot of other things. Join me on Hollywood uh, Heretic over at uh, Substack, hollywoodheretic.substack.com. Got to do it. Read my stuff. Read my stuff. I'm having Gotta fun over there. So um, I'm going to go through some uh, some classic flicks titles here. Classic flicks is doing a lot of really great stuff. And uh, these are movies that you're just not going to find anywhere else. Their Silver series continues to be to just dig up some really, really terrific films. Uh, volumes 24, 25, and 26 here. And 24 and 25 are, uh, are, are kind of lost romantic comedies uh, from, a, from a pretty great period. Both of them starring Joan Bennett. And uh, they, have, they kind of break these into series. So this is the Silver series with March and Bennett. And uh, that's Frederick March and Joan Bennett. And the film is Trade Winds. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was made in 1938, kind of a classic. It's almost more of a 1940s-style film. But it's really, it's a, it is just an absolutely lovely romantic comedy in the, um, in, in the uh, Tracy Hepburn mold, except it just mm-hmm. doesn't have Tracy and Hepburn in it. It's got a different, different pair. But Frederick March, great Oscar-winning actor. And Joan Bennett, just absolutely lovely. Joan Bennett plays a socialite and... Uh, uh, Frederick March is this this this. Uh, you know, you hear what it means. It's very, very it, it means that Taylor Swift shows and, up to the Golden Globes. Um, there's a that's what it means because she got nominated in that category. Kind of a, a, a wacky noir surveillance thing kind of going on, and then meet cute, and it's it's very very clever. It's Dor- very, very sweet. Dor- Dorothy uh, 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 Dorothy Parker yeah. is one of the writers. Yes. Ralph Bellings walking around that film. Right. Dorothy, Dorothy Parker was one of the writers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, the great Dorothy Parker. And then we also have Joan Bennett in uh, Vogues of 1938, made the year before in 1937. So it could be released in 1938. And uh, in this one, this is this is part of the Baxter and Bennett uh, 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 series. Mm. Baxter being Warner Baxter, who is absolutely lovely here. And he plays a fashion designer. And uh, she plays a, a debutante. And, uh, you know, it's... It's got all it. It's got all the usual kind of highbrow uh, society stuff, farce, and it's it's quite clever and, and very fun. So, Vogues of nineteen thirty eight, mm-hmm. and then uh, also That's the crazy. series volume twenty six is a film that I have loved my whole life. Um, uh, Powell and Dunn, Life with Father, and that is uh, yeah. Irene Dunn, and William Powell, and this is a delightful movie made in nineteen forty seven, um, based on a play. And uh, set, uh, you know, in the kind of like the, I, I think it's the early, just after the turn of the century. It's, mm. it's a little bit of a period thing. But uh, it's just it, it, William Powell is father of this family that just will not behave the way he wants them to behave. The kids drive him crazy. His wife drives him crazy. The, the, the line in the film, every, every time something goes wrong, he goes, Gads! William Powell. <laughs> Uh, but it's really, it's very, very sweet. It's directed by Michael Curtiz, one of the lighter films that he did. Mm-hmm, Great mm-hmm. Film from Max Steiner. Uh, it's, it's just a delightful film and it's in beautiful color, that 1947 Technicolor. And they've done a great job with it. I wish it were on Blu-ray, but it's on DVD. Ridiculously and young Liz Taylor. He just, you know, yes, so, she's so, I mean, so, young. so, so young, Uh-oh. so cute. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, and she's, she's, oh, she's just a doll in this thing. And then Classic Flicks has a bunch of great Blu-rays. I'll go through these, uh, as, as rapidly as I can because we have a lot to get to. Uh, the Abbott and Costello Show, season two. We've already released season one from Classic Flicks. Now season two is out on Blu-ray. Looks terrific. Best it's ever looked. It's only been on DVD before. This is the first time ever on Blu-ray. You gotta get this. It's just terrific. Uh, restored by the 3D Film Archive. Um, aired originally in 1953 and 54. Tons of great guest stars on here. Uh, it'll really, really take you back. And, uh, and why I'm especially enjoying this. And I've got to get my daughter watching these because mm-hmm. we, we, and, and I, and you know this because I, I, uh, <laughs> I mentioned it to you and Mark and Ray in email. Um, because all of my daughters, they'd, they'd rather have, they'd rather have a 10 million people over the age. Of, they'd rather have 10 million people because in their mind, the 10 million, yes. Before I let my daughter get caught up. Maybe see what, cause those 10 million internet garbage. No, I, I, I think the academy wants at this point in this, in the, they're, they're sort of at a precipice mm-hmm. a little bit, right? They're like mm-hmm. at, at an inflection point in their existence cool. as they come up towards their 100th anniversary. I think they want, they want sheer raw numbers. I love Lucy. They want to be able to, if it's streaming, which by the way will be a huge comeback for the Oscars, but I understand why they want to do it. Until time she goes to bed. Look at how Netflix cooks their numbers. Oh my God! Uh, uh, some crap ass show got got 150 billion minutes worth of views. Whatever garbage that means. Right? How my my the, if the Academy can get in on that, the they can make this case that the Academy is relevant. She'll sit there and she'll go, "Okay, the next one is the one with uh, with John Wayne." We're like, "How do you know that?" <laughs> How do you know who John Wayne is? <laughs> so this is the beautiful thing. Thanks to this show, my 11-year-old daughter knows who John Wayne is. Yeah. She knows who Rock Hudson is. Yeah. Uh, she, she, I mean, she knows all these celebrities. It's, yeah, it's I mean, Charles, Charles Boyer. And all Charles Boyer. Oh, she loves Orson Wells. Boyer Boyer episode. She loves the Orson Welles episode. Um, she knows, uh, what, gosh, who else, who, what other guest stars were there on there? Harpo Marx, right? She yeah, Harpo Marx. 
Um, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's fantastic. She knows you'll have to show her. You'll have to show her. Richard Widmark? My daughter knows who Richard Widmark is. How exciting that is to me? You'll have to show her Richard Crenna. Uh, we have, but you'll, you'll have to show her him lovers. Yeah, like yeah. like that's that guy. <laughs> but here, then show him, show her Richard Crenna. This is him when he's sixty three. <laughs> and this is what happens. And and because you know, there's the there's the episode from the very last season where uh, they've moved to Connecticut, and uh, Barbara Eden, a like oh, year yes. old Barbara Eden, shows up, yeah. and all the men want to dance with her. That's a it's a thing, and she is just so beautiful. And oh, and God. I'm using that to migrate her over to I Dream of Jeannie to say <laughs> another show yeah. about, about about a decade later. I Dream of Jeannie, and, and you, you really need to watch those too. Well, let's get you onto another show. And by the way. She's still alive. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm dreading that. Well, I'm dreading that. I'm dreading oh, that. No, show. you and I will sit here and we will cry for an no, hour and a half. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, so also blue from uh, Classic Flicks, Loretta Young, Cause for Alarm from MGM. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty great little kind of oftentimes overlooked film. Loretta Young never really gets the credit she's due. This is from 1951. Mm. It's super short, hour and 15 minutes long. Um, and, uh, it, this is one of those, uh, kind of, uh, post war. Well, they, they do get member dues, by the way. They do get member dues. I, yes. They have to pay member dues. In 2018, the member dues went up to $450 a year. It's, uh, it, it, you know, there's a, can, there's Ty, a, can Tom Hanks afford that? It's, it's, it's a, I'm not going to give anything away. It's a little kind of double indemnity esque. Mm-hmm. A little bit, um, but it's uh, you know it, it's really it's a it's a nice little gem from the period and uh, feels a little bit more like a '40s film. And it was actually de- uh, co-written and produced by Tom Lewis, who was actually married to Loretta Young at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, would later produce Loretta Young Show. So you know, there's a nice little uh, bit of trivia to that one. And then uh, also still from classic flicks, we've got Blonde Ice, absolutely terrific uh, noir. I love this film. It's not one of the more famous noirs, but it is one of my favorites. Uh, Leslie Brooks, Michael Whalen, Robert Page, really good, just kind of tough, uh, tough ice queen kind of thing, directed by Jack Bernhard uh, from 1948, also about an hour and 15 minutes long. Really, really terrific. Recently restored uh, from the original elements and preserved by the BFI National Archive. Really, really terrific. One of the great unsung noirs of uh, of the time. Uh, great lead performance. And then also the, the great Our Town. By the way, William Holden. Sure. That's another one that my daughter knows. She knows yeah. William Holden from I Love Lucy. And a very young William Holden in Our Town, along with Martha Scott. Mm. Uh, uh, not a typical William Holden uh performance, but this was directed by Sam Wood, beautifully done, production designed by the great William Cameron Menzies, 1940. And, uh, you know, the the legendary Thornton Wilder play done in great fashion as a movie absolutely belongs in your uh, your Blu-ray library. Um, this is uh, just a, a it's just a beautiful all-American stage classic done as a beautiful movie. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, David Farrer and Geraldine Fitzgerald in Obsessed. Um, which is, uh, a 1951, um, thriller is, it's not a noir. It's more of a thriller because it's kind of a period thing. It has a certain Hitchcockian quality to it and, uh, a little bit, a little bit kind of dark and, uh, and, um, Jane Eyre-ish in some respects. Uh, this is based on a stage play called Late Edwina Black. 
And um, that was originally, I guess, the title of the film when it was released in the UK. What is really, really funny about this to me, and it's got a lot of, you know, great, I mean, the script is really terrific, really just eerie twists and turns. Kind of like, you know, Rebecca. Well, for, uh, yes, uh, yeah. for the third point, but, which I agree um, with, the, 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 the smartest thing that they could do, include the would make me laugh, poster art on, is on, to hire Kevin Hart as their very first host. Is a, remember, we're, you know, the, the Hayes Code era, there's no rating system. There's a yeah. little red... Uh, uh, bullet point on the on the cover that says not suitable for children <laughs> and i didn't know that they actually had done that at that time in, in the uh, era. i thought everything had to be suitable for children oh no no not this one Absurd. not suitable for children so that's all from classic flicks f-l-i-x classic flicks.com um wonderful label love those guys um, and then a few others, a little off, off titles here that uh, we've had for a minute, and I want to get through some of these. Um, the 70th anniversary restoration in 3D, Robot Monster. This is such a bizarre, weird, horrible movie, and it has two hours of bonus features that are actually significantly better than the film because the film is pretty terrible. This is from Bayview Entertainment, but it doesn't matter. The film is like a guilty pleasure. It's terrible yeah. in an absolutely wonderful way. Um, this is just one of those cheesy, you know, uh, sci-fi movies, bad, bad alien monster suits and, and all the rest, yeah. a robot monster. It's just absolutely hilarious. It's like, okay, we got a gorilla suit and we got an alien helmet. What are we going to do with it? Put them together. I hate, look, don't you hate it when a robot monster falls in love with the last hot chick on the planet? <laughs> it's great. Hey, come on. Oh my gosh. Uh, the Johnstown flood. From uh, my good friend uh, Robert Harris at the Film Preserve, who who restored this. Um, this is a great film. Maltese Filmworks and the Film Preserve put this together for uh, George Eastman Museum. And uh, this is a rather extraordinary, uh, kind of a lost film with Janet Gaynor in it. Very dry, very uh, funny. 1926, yes. mm. a silent, like a late silent just before sound. But it's all about the 1889 flood where a couple thousand people died. I mean, we forget. We, we these, This is one of those tragedies that we've sort of forgotten about. Oh, yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was gnarly. And uh, this is really kind of an extraordinary, uh, you know, the, all the tinting restored. Um, really kind of an extraordinary film with all, remarkable special effects for today. And uh it's very, very sophisticated. So um, this is a great, great silent, kind of not always on everybody's lips when you think of great silent films, but <laughs> mm. it's got a lot of terrific extras on here. The original score reorchestrated and performed by the Montaldo Motion Picture Orchestra. There's beautiful audio for that. And um, a great featurette uh, with sound designer Ben Burt, Academy Award winning Ben Burt, and uh, yeah. VFX artist Craig Barron talking about all the things that make this film great. The Johnstown Flood. My, my fear for the Oscars, uh, for if they ball, go to streaming, is twofold. One is, also where does it wind up? Film, but a does it wind up on the AMPAS website? Does it wind up on, does Netflix stream it live? Like Whatever, does ABC.com yeah, stream it live? The, 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 the other fear I have is that now that the... It's kind of a spaghetti western, basically. But I know we don't think of spaghetti westerns with Ernest Borgnine, but it is it's a spaghetti western Great. with Ernest Borgnine. 
And uh, boy, he is just he is out of control. And it's all like a, you know, Mexican border. That would be great, though. And the other fear I have is that now that the Academy feels untethered from ABC and all their strictures, that that they're going to potentially lean into the worst impulses that bore people like me who watch these shows, which is there's an award for every category. There's no time on acceptance speeches. People can say whatever they want and go on forever. It could be a five hour show as long as everybody. Everybody gets their ass kissed. I, I, I really hope it's yeah, not that. Yeah. Years. He's one of the founders of the asylum who make the Sharknado movies. And uh, and anytime you know, you know you you've met him, he's a great guy. Oh yeah. Any anytime he can uh, he can sort of pimp his association with with like let's say I say something like oh I think there are sharks out today, <laughs> we'll weigh in with a comment with some kind of little twinkle in his eye. It's like oh is there a tornado. Um, so anyway, uh, lots of stuff in here. They they say they say there's a thing here. It says fully remastered with hundreds of new special effects. Hysterical. <laughs> I love it. Hysterical. Beautiful. They don't take themselves seriously at all. So anyway, there's a director's commentary on there as well. Um, the Jane Campion film in the cut, not one of my oh, favorite wow. Jane Campion yeah, films. Yeah. Right, uh, Meg uh, Ryan takes her top off. That's all yeah. I remember about this. Yeah. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer yeah, Jason Leigh. This is the. Yeah unrated version of in the cut oh that there, there, there could be an unrated version i no, i don't i don't how anyway how's that how's that possible i love jane campion don't love this film but i'm just letting you know it's out there on blu-ray from mill creek it is kind of a you know it's jane campion trying to do kind of a noir mm-hmm. thing but it doesn't really work mm-hmm. dude did you ever see mcbain with uh, christopher walken maria conchita alonzo did I see McBain? About ninety, about ninety ninety one, early early nineties movie, right? I'm almost certain I saw that movie. It's yeah. nineteen ninety one. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, uh, this is one of those James Glickenhaus movies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. James Glickenhaus, director who just directed a lot of cheesy action stuff in the nineties, especially late, kind of late eighties, early nineties. Uh, I mean, if you went to the American film market, you would just see James yeah. Glickenhaus everywhere at that time. You'd be like, "Holy cow, how many movies does this guy make a year?" Uh, but yeah, he, he, you know, did a lot of really bad movies, but somehow because Christopher Walken walks into this bad movie, um, he kind of elevates it. It's, he's one of those actors who just does that in a weird way. Yeah, I, this movie, it's, 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 it's in, the, yeah, but I remember Michael Ironside is in that movie. My boy Steve James in that movie, the brother. Steve, Steve was in a lot of those shops. Yeah. I with movies like that. So I, I remember all, I remember, I remember that about it, that it was better than average for those, uh, like you said, American film market sort of films. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, the, the title character, which is Christopher Walken, he's a, he's a, He's a POW, right, who gets uh, rescued from Vietnam by these, you know, after the fact by these rangers, which was a thing, right? I remember, like, yeah, yeah. movies about, you know, there's we still got POWs there. Chuck, we, Chuck, we, Chuck, Chuck Norris movies with that thing. Yeah, and and there was, uh, oh, gosh, what was the one that, that played at the theater when I was there with Randall Tex Cobb? Uh, what was that? There was the oh, other one. Yeah. Uh, uh, Quest, Quest for Honor. Oh, he's, like he, he's, yeah. he's yeah. on his apology yeah. tour right? for the last yeah. couple yeah. days because you don't throw your riders under the bus ever for any reason. 
Yeah, and, and nobody by, cares by that you <laughs> that you and the writers met for the first time the day before yeah. the show. Uh, right, there are monologue writers. I, I watch Stephen Colbert. Every we night. Told you. I think their monologue is so <laughs> strong. And by the way, Hanter Stamp was like young women. It's fantastic, a bit of, and it's so damn funny. And, they come up with a, an amazing ten minute monologue every night. Okay, you guys, Joe Coy, and your three writers, you had a huge target in Colombia that you could hit, and somehow you managed to not even hit it. Press the time Vietnam to the drug lord and the whole thing. But you know what? Christopher Walken is in it and he's just so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then the uh, the last little uh, one-off I got here also from Mill Creek. Terrific. Absolutely terrific. I'm so glad this is out again. Uh, Requiem for a Heavyweight. Oh, wow. Boy, does this have a heavyweight cast. Uh, Anthony Quinn, Mickey Rooney, Jackie Gleason, and Julie Harris. Produced by the great David Suskind. Directed what by... What was the Easter... Nelson, the Easter... Not Easter Day or Easter or something? Rod Serling. Rod Serling, yeah. And uh, Rod, you know, put aside everything great that he did on Twilight Zone. When you see Rod Serling's feature writing, you realize it's just this guy had it going on. He was just yeah. a pure writer. Just a pure writer. Um, so yeah, this was, uh, you know, ba- basically in the, in the vein of the great live television things that, that, that had gone on for throughout the, the fifties. Um, it's, it's that kind of a story, but boy, is it just really, really good. And it's all about, you know, boxing and corruption and, and, you know, how, how it just wears you down. And it's boxing is a metaphor for life, basically. Uh, yeah. Jackie Gleason. Well, they were desperate. They were, they were desperate. They, they went to everybody. Everybody said no. The show was going to happen in, in a matter of days. They needed somebody. And I guess he was the guy that uh, picked up the phone. Fight doctor. Um, it's, a, it's a great. It's Ralph Nelson is underrated too as a director. I just Lilies of the Field number one, uh, or so you know that one. Uh, Charlie uh, is Ralph Nelson, and and frankly, an underrated, an underrated Jim Brown. Tick 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 is Ralph is, is Ralph Nelson, and I love that movie. Tick tick. Okay, you know what? I will stick around for the obits. The washed up boxer, right? It's just it's one of his. It's it's really one of his one of his just our most earnest performances, and it's and that's saying a lot considering how many great performances he gave. But boy, it's a, it's a wonderful movie. It's just a wonderful yeah. movie. Um, boy, we got we got new movies. We got four Ks. Uh, where should we turn next? Uh, let's pop up some four K man and see what's right. going on over there. I see Blood Feast, Blood Feast at the top of that list there. Yeah, let me uh, let me yank that, that out here. Uh, and a few other ones that are that a whole, whole whole bunch of stuff. Oh, hold on. Hang on. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. I'm not as organized today as I have been in the past, but uh, uh, where were they? Oh, yes. Well, anyway, talk talk about. Uh, hold on. Hang on. Hang on. He was he was 75. He was 75. There we go. Blood Feast, not the Herschel Gordon Lewis film, by the way. Oh, not the Herschel Gordon Lewis no, film. Not it's the- funny because that's what the, that, it was the 2016 film. Uh, that's the, what the, the, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is this is the um, <laughs> this is the quasi remake, I guess. No, you know what it's to me. He's he's like one of like Jonathan Price types, where he's this English actor who everybody loves. He does everything. He's been there for as long as we've been alive. He's always good. Okay, okay. He's just a mainstay. He's just he's just one of those little. It is just much more uh, of an elaboration on the original Herschel Gordon Lewis film, which really didn't have much of a plot. Really, that was from 1963. Yeah, and um, yeah, they decided to put this sucker on 4K. It's from Synapse. 
because I guess it has an audience following. Well, yeah, sure. You can, you can, you can, you can, you can exploit exploitation over and over and over again. Yeah. So, yes, mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. yes, you can. Yes, you can. And um, uh, let me get to the next. Uh, it, 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 I, don't, I, don't know how, I don't know how close it is, uh, but Willie's Wonderland, uh, um, uh, which is another. It's funny because people talk about. The Nick other Cage. one that bothered me was uh, Andre Brown. And Andre Brown bothered me because I'm like, Nick Cage has been, been back for a while now. He this is another one of those wacky movie stars. Nick Cage he should have won Lewis directed, awards. Kevin Lewis directed, he was so commanding of, and so uh, great. Uh, and somehow his career was never as big as I was hoping it would be. Marcus and George and... And uh, the accursed and some other films, but this was one of the it's one of the films that really uh, put uh, Nick Cage back on the path <laughs> to where he wants to be. Nick had a really neat film out this year too called Dream Scenario, which I guess we'll be talking about in a few weeks. But among them, there's this one. He just plays this guy uh, uh, who's this drifter, and he, and he, and he, and he gets this gig uh, being the night janitor at this, 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 this place called Willie's Wonderland. It's kind of like a condemned. And he goes into this place, and the animatronics, these sort of animatronic uh, thing from the 70s, you know, from, from one of these kind of places that, 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 that I remember from, a ch- from my childhood, by the way. There were lots of these places when I were a kid. It, 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 to me, this is a, this is a movie. This is so twisted and deranged. This is Nick Cage going to war uh, with the um, uh, what were those guys? La la la. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, the, uh, the, the yeah, the Marty Cage, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the bananas. What was split? Banana split. Nick, Nick Cage goes to war with the banana splits. That's how I describe this movie. And it's just, and it's funny, uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's really kind of neat and a lot of fun. So yeah, Willie's Wonderland. Why one of the, one of these days, Nick Cage is just all he's going to do is make his money just do it, just doing Q and A's at retrospectives of all of his just his insane filmography. It's nuts, it's a <laughs> nutty filmography. What do we think about the uh, the fact that they have rebooted the Hunger Games with these prequels, the Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which I thought I normally I can tell you from uh, uh, six months away whether a movie is going to crash and burn mm-hmm, or whether mm-hmm. it's going to hit. I said. Hunger Games is over. This audience doesn't exist anymore. This thing's going to crash and burn. Nobody cares. And you called it, baby. You called it well, clean and tight. But it still made a, a, a little bit. It didn't make like original Hunger. It, it didn't make. It didn't make Hunger Games money. And that was just that sort of lingering group of Katniss Everdeen or whatever. I, I guess there were more of them. It yeah. did better than I expected. I mean, yeah, obviously yeah. It didn't do well, but it did better than I expected. And and. Uh, you know, I guess, I guess without, because, because I also thought without, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, it wouldn't do well. It, it, no one would care. But apparently, there is kind of a, kind of a, a, that core of people who love the books and anything with the name on it, they will, they will rally around. So, well, you know, the, you, you make these Coriolanus Snow, and and they sort of promoted the movie in that way. They talked yeah. about the characters in the promotion of the movie, Coriolanus, and yeah. and, 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 and and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, interesting in that way. But I don't know. I still, I still feel like uh, the Hunger Games are. Over, yeah, I agree. I agree. It'll be interesting to see if they if they try to do more of these because I think they're 
this was an intended new trilogy, wasn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah we, we were supposed to work our way back up to where oh, we started. Oh my goodness! You know, I am so glad uh, Sam Raimi's Dark Man is out now. 4K uh, UHD Ultra HD 4K from uh, Shout Factory, Shout Studios, and Scream Factory. Uh, this, this is just this is one of those uh, superhero movies before the superhero movie craze really came yeah. on. Yeah, and uh, I I think Liam Neeson is great as this weird uh, quasi superhero dark man character uh francis mcdormand we forget is is yeah. also in this it's it's i mean you know it's danny elfman wrote a great score sam raimi directs the hell out of this thing it's uh it's a it's a it's a kind of a wild movie with some very odd humor in it you know uh oh man dark humor I did, I did the junket for this movie back in 1990. <laughs> it was just fantastic. It's a fun uh, Larry movie. Drake is a fun, fun movie. Uh, because uh, he was with yeah. Lenny on, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, ER. No, uh, Law, Law, Law. No, LA Law. I think with, LA the, Law. with Tommy yeah. Smothers oh, and Shecky Green, you're starting to see oh, some of these. Good. People who we yeah, grew up on, was the, was the and we had Shecky's a little before. Uh, serious, I think our time Shecky was a stand-up comic in the fifties. Because there are a lot of Raimi's. It was Shecky. It was Don Rickles. Buddy Hackett. All those guys in the seventies playing Vegas. Actually, a fairly noted actor creating what the Vegas stand-up comedy performance act would be. You know, so there were like Raimi's everywhere. It's one of those families. It really started with Shecky. So him and Tommy Smothers. These are people who laid the groundwork. For the comics they got a that we love today, and who God, continue people continue to love today, and featurettes and stuff on the makeup and production design, and on and on and on and on, stills and uh, artwork, and it, it's really amazing. I mean, there's just you 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 learn way too much about this movie. Um, <laughs> and then he, this is interesting to me because this is uh, the latest in the Trolls movies, the third one, Trolls Band Together, the sing along edition. Uh, so. My daughter is also obsessed with uh, Disney films and Pixar films, as you might imagine. Yeah. Being, being so obsessive that she would memorize every episode in order of I Dream of, of, uh, of I Love Lucy. Uh, yeah. she, she, she also, over the last six months or so, set herself the goal of watching every single Walt Disney Studios animated film in order. Okay, <laughs> all the way because she now she saw Wish, the most recent one. Yeah. So she's and she has seen obviously you know a lot of the all the princess movies, the, starting with Snow White. But there are a bunch that she hadn't seen: Fantasia, mm-hmm. Fantasia two thousand. So she watched the rest of them, which is a whole ton. And then she watched all the Pixar's that she's never seen. <laughs> she's now seen more Disney and Pixar movies than I have. It's awesome. <laughs> she's got she's got about that's a, it, it, that's the other thing. Twenty years worth of movies. Oh, it's a lot. And now. All her friends are nagging her. Well, you haven't seen any DreamWorks animated films, and you haven't seen all of the Blue Sky animated films, and you haven't seen. Okay, wait, uh, you know, wait, wait, hang on. And on and on, right? Be honest. They're giving her the baby. How long and will this take? Those movies are movies that her friends. An hour, and 20 minutes. So she made me watch the original Trolls. The An hour? Uh, that's that. I'm leaving. worth her watching. This is what I do now. <laughs> Don't stop the recording. Resigned to. And this is DreamWorks. Wait, let me tell you something. Yeah. I have a, so ve- I have a very, trolls, very busy life. I'm unemployed. I do nothing. It's cute. Oh, the first Trolls is actually good. And yet somehow, somehow Uh, I don't want to see you and hear you for an hour (laughs) talking about Blu-rays that no one will ever buy or rent. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, it, it, this, so the, the troll thing overstays its welcome, and it really is all about the songs. That's why it's a sing-along. Uh, yeah. um, but this has you yes. know, deleted scenes and uh, 
hug time bracelet uh, instructions and all right guys the, take you know, care original short called it uh, you too bye guys uh, bye everyone 14 songs here with sing-along uh stuff in them uh you know i mean i i i it's fine it it's fine it's trolls i mean i guess if you've seen the first two you can suffer your way through this one um it's like the shrek films right the first two yeah. are great and then it just it just well you know what it is for me and, and maybe it has to do with it they're a little it, this one anyway it's a little too kinetic for me they're, it never stops yeah, yeah you're right uh, it, it never stops talking it never stops singing the music it just it just never stops it's never a moment you know Breathe. where the, 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 yeah so you know but this yeah. Yeah, the assumption is that every child has ADD and must yeah. be entertained for every single second, or else they'll they'll want to leave. Um, and then we got a couple of 4K uh, steel books here: Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths mm-hmm. Part One, the uh, animated telling of this, not the one from the Arrowverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is actually better, believe it or not. <laughs> it's a better telling of it. But this is a you know this is a famous comic book uh, narrative, and they've now done the animated version of it. And uh, it's not bad. I mean, yeah. I think they 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 they've tweaked the 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 characters a little bit too much to be like the way they are in the live action movies here. But uh, that being said, I I enjoyed this and I enjoyed having you know Martian Manhunter and a whole other bunch of other characters in here that we didn't have uh, before. I like her voice too. I like I love I love Matt Balmer's he's the Flash in this. Yeah, uh, and Darren Chris plays Superman. He does the voice of Superman in this, and even Zachary Quinto uh, is is doing Lex Luthor, of course, which is you know extremely appropriate. So yeah, really cool. And then the last one here on the 4K front is uh, a, a uh, 40th anniversary. Oh man, 40th anniversary! I can't believe loose. Oh my God! loose. First time on 4K Steelbook. Kevin Bacon has has not aged a day since. No, really. he no. looks more or less the same age. So this was one of those movies that I saw, um, arguably, I don't know, about 170 times because I was working at the National Theater when it played. Yeah, and uh, so I, you know, I saw it or heard it every single day, multiple times. Um, and I, I hated it then. I, say, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, in a strange way, like with Top Gun, I have grown to like it. Because it's nostalgia for me now. <laughs> it's nostalgia. I gotta tell you, I liked it on the day back then. I rather enjoyed uh, this movie uh, that Kenny Loggins. And you know, uh, it was it was. And, 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 you know, I'm, and I'm this Midwest guy, you know, in St. Louis. So watching, uh, you know, the, the story that's sort of like set in, in, in something that looks like my hometown, uh, and sort of feels like that Southern Bible Belt where I grew up. You know, where some of this stuff was actually real, real. <laughs> well, I was going up that day, and I'm like, oh no, this is real, real as hell. I, I know some of those towns. Um, and then there are all these people that are. In this movie, dude, that I just, you know, I, when I think about them, and yes, Kevin, but you got Laurie Singer and, and Diane Weiss and John Lithgow and Sarah Jessica Parker's in this movie. I forgot Sarah Jessica was in this movie. Just, uh, your, boy, your, 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 your boy, your boy, your uh, boy, Chris Penn. young, beautiful Chris Penn doing that little dance, uh, you know, in that movie. That, let's hear it for the world. It's just, you know, I think about that, and yeah, it, uh, it definitely, definitely. And, and what's so great, so Herbert Ross, who who directed the film, um, and I remember in film school, you know, uh, Howard Suber, 
Howard mm. Suber, who just my my old professor in Howard Suber, who just uh, uh, starred in this whole series of the Power of Film based on his book on uh, on uh, TCM. If you saw it, it's going to come. They're going to air it again. Watch it again. You'll know what it was like to be in class with Howard Suber. Um, mm. Howard Suber used to say to us, uh, "You're overlooking a major part of the director's style if you don't notice that Herbert Ross, when he directs, he edits to the beat of the music." which a lot of directors don't. Kind of a precursor of music videos that way. And Herbert Ross started as as a choreographer. He was the choreographer in Funny Girl. And then he was elevated to director of Funny Lady uh, with James Caan and and Barbra Streisand. And then he did The Turning Point, which became, at the time, the most nominated Academy Award film to not win a single award. It was like nominated for 12 or something like that and won nothing. Um, And uh, would go on to do things like Footloose. And 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 when you watch it, you, you that it is because he loves using the music, uh, the songs, those musical numbers. You, you, he has a choreographer's instinct for the editing, even if there's not a lot of dancing. But then the dancing stuff is great. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, Footloose, and and um, what a what a what a fun kind of bit of nostalgia it is now, especially considering that the remake was such a dog. No, oh my but, goodness. Uh, yeah, it was terrible. But a lot, of, a lot of nostalgic bits here too on on the second disc, which has special features on it. Um, they they have uh, Kevin Bacon kind of looking back on it. There's a commentary with uh, Kevin Bacon, another commentary with Craig Zan and Dean Pitchford, um, uh, and uh, an interview with Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, yeah. So uh, fun stuff and fun stuff for especially for people our age who. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, one do the we just have a few things for TV. Yeah. Uh, one of which is the complete Gomer pile. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, the complete Gomer pile finally on Blu-ray, which is a bit of a big deal, and uh, it looks terrific on Blu-ray. But you know what? It's funny, Tim. I've been watching some of these things again. Now, this was everyone knows you and I. You and I often joke about this yeah. because because like we know this trivia. Like uh, Gomer Pyle, uh, who's who's Gomer Pyle's cousin? <laughs> Goober, <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, spinoffs um, uh, out of uh, I guess was it was it out of uh, the Andy Griffith show uh, or maybe, maybe the spinoff, right? Uh, out of that the show, yeah. Yeah, uh, Gomer Powell, uh, yeah, yeah, United States. The thing about the Gomer, about this show, Gomer Powell's show, yeah. funny sitcom, absolutely. But yeah. this was an extremely poignant show. See, I was just going to say that. Carry on. It had dramatic touches that included not only Gomer, but the Sarge and other characters. So, so was it was it was it, a, was it funny? Was it a sitcom? It absolutely was. But this was a very sophisticated, very poignant show uh, that elevated Gomer. This show didn't make fun of Gomer Powell. This show was Ted Lasso before Ted Lasso. That is an amazing observation. That is a really amazing observation. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. You're absolutely right. I'll, I'll pull one episode out in particular where um, there are some people who who um, hold up a diner. And Sergeant Carter is the one who stops him with his karate chop. But then he realizes he can't be the hero because he's there with a different girl. And he doesn't want his girlfriend to know that he was stepping out on her, right? He was like really? doing a thing. And he's like, you, you, and so he forces Gomer to step up and go, I'm saved the day. And Gomer has to figure out how, how to, how to be the hero that Sargent has ordered him to be without being dishonest and actually taking credit for it. So he has to parse his language in a very particular way. So he's not actually admitting that he's the hero. 
but he's still going to not disobey Sergeant Carter. Right? It's this, this razor's edge that he's got to walk, and it's really good writing. But the bottom part, the bottom line there is Sergeant Carter was cheating on his girlfriend and is guilty about it. Yeah. And it's a really uncomfortable episode to watch for that reason. You really kind of squirm more than you laugh. And, and, what, and what ultimately happens is we, we the audience, Sergeant Carter, we are drawn over to yes. Gomer's point it's, of view. It's fascinating. Gomer wins in the end, and every one of those episodes, Gomer wins. It's it's the opposite. In the in the in the early nineties, they did these kinds of shows. You know, these sort of, what you would call lovable loser shows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but they didn't do it the way Gomer Powell did it. They didn't do it the way these shows did it. The, the quote unquote lovable losers from this period weren't losers. Uh, they, they, they 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 actually won in every episode. They were they were always right, uh, no matter how out of step they were with everybody else because they were good guys and good guys on television in 1964 to 69 when this show was on good guys won in every episode yeah it, it, it's 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 utterly fascinating it's utterly fascinating uh interesting showtime sh- series here uh dreaming whilst black mm. not while whilst, whilst. Whilst LST, the, uh, the the more classic way of saying it, uh, starring uh, a Johnny Salmon as Quabena, mm-hmm. who is um, who is a guy who just want he basically wants to be a uh, he's a film school grad and he wants to be a filmmaker, and it's this really interesting um, British comedy series that was originally a series like a web I think it was a web series originally. And um, it, uh, it 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 you know made the transition from BBC uh, British mm-hmm. Television over to here. I think there's a second season they've done, but it's a it's a really really interesting. It's a little bit it's, it's a little bit insecure. You know, Issa Rae's yeah. show. Well, she did that awkward black girl show, which is the thing yeah. that she did on you know YouTube exactly. or whatever. So it's one of those things, and then that becomes insecure, and and it's, so it's, it lives right in that and that and that. But it's just really well executed British show. It's full of these really, really wonderful uh, actors, and it's one of those are you going to go for your dreams type uh, it's, type, type it's things. It's funny, but it's smart. Yeah, it's, it's one of those shows, and there are a number of the there the and the British do this very, very well. It's one of those shows where you go, oh, <laughs> yeah, kind of right. There's a, there's a little aftertaste to the to the joke. It's, it's it's funny, and you laugh, and then you think about it. It kind of yeah. lives with you for a moment, and it's more than funny. Um, it's a very particular kind of writing, and I and I quite like it. It's yeah. good. I'm looking forward to it to another season of it. I've done that one too. Uh, and then uh, we have got Special Ops Lioness season one. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, you hey, know Zoe, 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 Zoe. <laughs> yeah, Nicole Kidman's on this, and, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, more it's, t- it's one of those Taylor Sheridan, another, uh, another Taylor Nicole Sheridan. Kidman show up for like 19 seconds to give a little bit of credibility. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I love that it says from the co-creator of Yellowstone. Yeah. That means from the creator of Yellowstone, whose name is not Taylor Sheridan. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, That's, that's what that means. Uh, <laughs> Look, this is one of those shows where these people... Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. 
Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're all far too attractive to be doing any of the jobs. I agree. <laughs> I love Zoe. Zoe, you're beautiful. You're, I don't believe you in that, in that, in that, in that thing with that back, with that gun. Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe. And I'm sorry. I just don't. And, uh, and that might be, but I just, I don't know about that. Yeah. But, but look, uh, in, in fairness, Taylor Sheridan lends his name to this and, and that gets it off the, off to the races. And, uh, you know, he doesn't otherwise have a whole lot to do with this, uh, at least not to my understanding of it. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, um, you know, Nicole Kidman gets to kind of sit there and be a boss, and uh, Zoe Saldana does all the stuff, and, you know, CIA, yada, yada, yada. We all know. I mean, it's, it's one of those CIA shows. It's a, it's trying to be, you know, um, Jack Reacher. It's trying yeah, to be, yeah. uh, what's the other one with the... Uh, oh, uh, John Krasinski, uh, the, uh, the, 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 yeah, that thing, yeah. yeah. Doing all that stuff. So, whatever. Um, all right, let's see. Where do we, where do we go next? Oh, oh, there's a, there's a Danish show, uh, Deliver Us. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is, Kino Lorber released this, and, uh, this is a, uh, this is a Danish series, a crime thriller series, um, which I'm surprised that, that MHZ didn't snatch this up, because this is exactly the kind of thing that they would normally grab. But, um, yeah, this is, uh, this is kind of an interesting, uh, look at a, a community that is completely falling apart because of crime mm. and uh, because of crime that's gone unaddressed. And, and uh, there's a, there's an interesting kind of psychosocial aspect to the, the, the perpetrators here and to the people in the community. And um, it is, it is a dissection of the, it's like, a, the, it's like humanity in microcosm uh at a at a at the moment when we're all supposed to just completely disintegrate and how we respond it's not quite like a post apocalyptic show it doesn't mm-hmm. go to that place but it does it does get into some really really uh the the ugly side of of human beings when uh, no punishment is associated with our our actions and um it's uh, you know it's a uh, it's 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 a pretty bold show and it's mm-hmm. danish uh not for everybody's uh taste but uh anyway there it is. Oh, you know what? I'm just noticing this is MHZ. It, oh, it is. At least it is released. It's a new, it's, I guess, new contract with Kino Lorber. It is MHZ, but uh, they are, they're releasing through Kino Lorber now, not their own uh, distribution. Very interesting. So good on MHZ for, for not letting that one slip through. I take it back. Hmm. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Where do we go now? Uh, how, how, close the, how, how close are those criterions? Oh, got to, uh, to you. Let's take a look at some of that stuff. Because I see, to be honest with you, I want to talk about Nothing But a Man, uh, the, the, the great Ivan Dixon film, if I'm oh, not mistaken. Yes. Um, Pull that uh, right out. Ivan, <laughs> we, we, we talk about Ivan Dixon a lot because he was on Hogan's Heroes. And everything's yeah. oh, he's the, he's the black guy on Hogan's Heroes. Yeah, but he was also a filmmaker. Oh yeah, very good and significant filmmaker, and uh, and a significant actor even before that, and uh, yeah, nothing but a man, boy, go go with it. Uh, well, yeah, him and Robert and Young, yeah, Abby Lincoln and Julia Sayers, and this is really really powerful uh, uh, film. Uh, that when you watch Jack Dakota, a young Jack Dakota was in this movie, uh, and Gloria Fox, and so it, uh, and Julia Sayers, it's really a very powerful drama uh, about this about this brother uh, and his and his and his wife who's a, a school teacher and, 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 and what they have to deal with in, in the early 60s in, in America and you know obviously a black couple uh, so so it's um, it, it, it speaks to the time it's, it's a, it's a 
Michael Romer film, of course, but, yeah. but Ivan Dixon is extraordinary in this, in, in this movie. And, and it's where he began to hone his chops as a director. I, I, have, I spoke with Ivan, that must be 35 years ago now. I always wanted to make a doc about Ivan Dixon. Ivan Dixon was one of the first yeah. black regular directors in network television in the early right. 70s. Right. Uh, regularly, if you were watching any, any given sort of network television show, you were, you were watching some of the work of Ivan Dixon Medical Center and just all these other big things. He was one of the first, him and Michael Schultz yeah. uh, is, 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 is the other one. Um, uh, uh, directed the spook who sat by the door. Um, uh, so in, in, in any case, uh, this is really just a, a really, really great film. Uh, the great Abby Lincoln, uh, who's a singer too, of course, a wonderful singer, but also a noted dramatic actress, Abby Lincoln. So good, good movie. It's a lovely Blu-ray. It, um, it's uh, it, director approved by Michael Romer. And uh, it has archival interviews with Ivan Dixon and Abby Lincoln and Julius Harris and a great conversation that was recorded in 2004 between Romer and Robert M. Young, uh, who, of course, would go on to be a great director in his own right, but was a co-producer and cinematographer here. And uh, and there's also a, an introduction to Michael Romer featurette uh, on Romer. It's a no, it is terrific. And, you know, the thing that I really, really appreciate about Ivan Dixon is that the particular kind of actor that he was at this time. This is 1964. Yeah. And in 1964, um, it, the the impulse for most was to Sidney Poitier the hell out of every single black role, right? It was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, we got, you know, like, like white guilt bubbling up and, and we got every every black actor has to be a credit to the race. We got to like really build them up. And, yeah. and Sidney Poitier had all that poured on his shoulders. Meanwhile, somebody like Ivan Dixon is the beneficiary of that because he says, I don't have that pressure. So I'm just, I'm going to go be, I'm going to be real. Yeah. And, and he's incredibly real. I mean, it really, that's the thing is that in 1964, when most people are giving fairly, still fairly elevated melodramatic performances, he's giving something which I would almost describe as a neorealist performance. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The kind of thing that Charles Bur- Burnett would go on to call yes, for yes. from, 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 from folks like, um, uh, Morgan Freeman and to sleep with anger and, yeah. uh, you know, and, 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 and you know, I mean, Yap and Koto again in this film, they, they there was this opportunity yeah. and that's a, a lot of that is Romer too, because yeah. Romer, you know, he was all about naturalism, uh, realism, yeah. uh, there. So yeah, yeah. Outstanding. Outstanding. Got another uh, got a Criterion Blu-ray box set here. Chantal Ackerman Masterpieces, 1968 to 78. Uh, if you don't know Chantal Ackerman and why she matters, boy, this is the one you pick up. A uh, mm-hmm. ton of films here, and I can't get into each of them you know, individually. Uh, Saute ma vie, La Chambre, Hotel Monterey. Uh, the, the very famous Jeanne Dillman, 23, Quai du Commerce, uh, 1080 Bruxelles, which is has now kind of uh, been elevated in the in the Sight and Sound Critics poll and, and mm-hmm. you know, People are, oh, I had never heard of that movie before. Now you have. So Chantal Ackerman, just a, a, an extraordinary French uh, director. And uh, this is the first, you know, basically the first 10 years of her career. And it's just this wonderful body of work that is just so naturalistic and poetic. And yet, you know, kind of low budget and gritty. And it's like, you know, post new wave, new wave is what it is. Mm. Um, very much an outgrowth of the new wave. But these are just wonderful movies. Lots of great extras in here, including film school tests by Ackerman. And um, yeah, uh, I, I just think this is the, this is a wonderful box set. It, it's it's an essential for anybody. Yeah, the, the films that she did in the middle, middle, late nineties with you know, the, the South of American films uh, yeah. that, that that one would would build her. 
and and Juliette Binoche. I can't. You have yeah. a pop in my head this second, but, but you know, uh, it's, it's, it's it's a part of that scene. But they're they're still interesting films. But they have this sort of an American style, and even a bit of a French comedic style. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, something. Oh, so a couch in New York. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's I was looking for there that, and I found it. So yeah, she had a real range. I really love Chantal Ackerman. Yeah. Uh, speaking of roamers, there's Eric Romer, the uh, wonderful French New Wave uh, poet, who did uh, Tales of the Four Seasons, and these are this is a wonderful quartet of films: a tale of springtime, a tale of winter, a tale of summer, and a tale of autumn. And uh, these are just lovely movies. They're gentle. The, this was a, a quartet of films that, was, that sort of came into life when Tim and I had just started reviewing mm-hmm. movies. So mm-hmm. we sort of lived this whole quartet from 1990 to 1998. And, and they're just beautiful. I remember seeing these things projected, and I just I couldn't wait until the next one. And um, they, they're, just, they're, they're just about romance. They're just about people trying to fall in love and struggling with love in, in each of these kinds of seasonal capsules. And yeah. um, they're just these beautiful, intimate character tales. And uh, he's done this before with the six moral tales and comedies and proverbs. And, uh, you know, so this is another one of his film series where he just explores human nature. And they're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. Bunch of great extras on here. Um, all from 2K Digital Restorations, which is plenty because Romer shot, you know, kind of grittily on film. But beautiful stuff. Yeah, yeah. Also, you know, vaguely references to his own life, A Tale of Summer, his own childhood, yep. and so on and so forth. It's beautiful stuff. Uh, and then we've got some we got some 4Ks here as well, some Criterion 4Ks. Yeah. And um, let's start off with Lone Star by John Sayles, which, Man. you know, I, that's just from one of the great John Sayles films uh, from that period, from his best period. Boy, Lone Star was so good. Um, and gave us what? Uh, young Matthew McConaughey, of course. Yeah, young Matthew McConaughey. Um Chris Christopherson is in that. Uh, 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 Chris Cooper, if I recall. But I remember Elizabeth Pena. Pena, Pena is amazing. She was the thing in that movie, man. She was the thing in that movie. Uh, it was just, just, just really, great. really great. Yeah, she was absolutely terrific. Chris, Chris Cooper, and Elizabeth Pena are the 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 center of this film. They're 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 the rock center of this film. Um, really, really wonderful movie. Just so well scripted, so well executed, and uh, with some twists and turns you do not see coming. Yeah. I'm telling you. Stuart Dryberg, who shot the piano for Jane Campion, also just uh, cleans up here. It's 4K. It's absolutely terrific. Cannot say enough about it. Uh, also, Train Spotting on 4K. Uh, you know what? Look, I loved I love Danny Boyle. I love Ewan McGregor. I love just about everybody in this movie. I, I should love this movie. I don't. It was not a, but, you know, a lot of people do. Yeah, but yeah, it had it, it had its fans back in back in ninety six, ninety. Yeah, I think it was ninety six or something like that yeah. uh, when it came out. And then again, you know, Johnny Lee Miller and Ewan, oh, yeah, you know, a lot of young, a lot of young British guys, Kevin McKidd, uh, sort of sort of rose up out of this movie. Kelly McDonald and Robert Carlyle, and and yeah, you know, these 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 irritating junkies, <laughs> these irritating junkies. Like, I can't, I can't, you know, I understand it's not. Really glamorizing heroin, but I, I just I can't do heroin. Uh, dude, I, got, I got no use for any kind of irritating junkie. <laughs> just you know, just that's just, just, just my thing. But popular today, 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, I just I can't handle it. Um, also, we've got uh, the Heroic Trio and the Executioners, the Johnny Toe films that com- that did the amazing thing during the Hong Kong New Wave period of combining Michelle Yeoh with Maggie Chung and Anita Moy, the late Anita, the glorious Anita. Mm. Uh, if you're a Hong Kong New Wave fan, as I am, I remember when these movies came out. Uh, they're just amazing. They're basically female superhero movies. These are mm-hmm. three women who are kind of um, uh, superheroes. The Michelle Yeoh character, who's you know invisible, is is working for the bad guy initially, but comes back to the you know the good side, and they become a heroic trio. And in the sequel, Executioners, it's just as good. Uh, Johnny Toe was not yet the gangster filmmaker that he would become, the kind of uh, nouveau John Woo, but uh, he, you know, still a work for hire. But boy, these films are so much fun. They are so much fun. And uh, on 4K, could not say more about them. They're wonderful. There is a new interview with Anthony Wong, the great legendary Anthony Wong, who 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 <laughs> plays a. It's kind of nasty in the first one. He's like a. The the, vil, the the wizard's henchman and he you know he like eats his own fingers and there's a whole thing with the flying guillotine and I mean it's he's a weird character doesn't even have a doesn't have a line I don't think but anyways a new interview with him which is terrific um, new interview with film critic Sam Dayan uh, who co-hosts the podcast Twitch of the Death Nerve and uh, it's uh, I it's it's terrific I I just love those movies. We also have Warren Beatty and Julie Christie, oh. K of McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Yeah, boy, I mean, uh, does this hold up, Tim? Oh, absolutely! Oh, absolutely! Robert Altman. Um, it's a film of its time, but you know, it's it's, it's set when it's set. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the gamble, the prostitute, they get together. It's just really, really, really a good film. It feels. How does it look? Uh, so good. It looks so beautiful. It really does. It's just so beautiful. I mean, it, it and and I love it when they really get the film grain right in these 4Ks. Like that's the thing. If the 4K makes me feel like I'm watching something that's projected, boom, mission accomplished. I mean, it's just it is really a beautiful 4K, and uh, it's it it captures it captures that that kind of nasty, gritty, pre Heaven's Gate revisionist western pre-unforgiven revisionist yeah. western sensibility the pacific northwest you know mining town it just you really feel it but i mean it's the visuals vilmo zygmunt shot it you know yeah. eventually would win an oscar for for close encounters uh who's just one of the great cinematographers of all time and it just it just has that vilmo zygmunt texture and i i can't get enough it's just absolutely gorgeous yeah, fantastic, man. Yeah, that's wonderful. Tons of great extras, by the way. Tons of great extras, uh, including a conversation about the film and Altman's career with film historians Kari Beauchamp and Rick Jewell. I am so sorry to report, too, that Kari Beauchamp recently passed away. Oh, I did not know that. No. Yeah, she passed away. And also, uh, who else passed away? The other the other film scholar. Oh, my gosh, film art uh, just today. Oh, who? Mm- I missed it. Uh, oh gosh! Um, hold on, hold on. Uh, 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 David Boardwell. Oh, really? David Boardwell died today. And film art, his book, film art, um, yeah. uh, which he, he wrote with with Kristen Thompson. Uh, yeah, it, it, that um, that was my one of my textbooks in film school, and I yeah. used some of his other stuff when I when I taught. I mean, David Boardwell is such another horrible loss. Yeah. Uh, and our last uh, Criterion 4K here is the Apu Trilogy from uh, Satyajit Ray, the great Indian director, the great Bengali filmmaker. Uh, his first trilogy, you know, Padre Panchali was his, his mm. coming out, and then Aparajito and Apu Sansar, the world of Apu. I always like to point out to people that um, the world of Apu 
is is if you've seen um uh, my family mi familia the, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the with the uh, uh yeah Edward James almost and uh, yes Edward James almost and Jimmy Smiths and you know the rest of them that is quite literally a remake yeah. of the world of Apu mm-hmm. without giving credit for it well, yeah yeah it's yeah, extraordinary I, to me I, there was a point I'm watching my family mi familia and I'm like this is the world of Apu. <laughs> and I, I, you just straight up ripped it off. Couldn't you at least have like given him a nod? Um, no, this is, uh, you know, Apu of course is the boy and he grows up and it is, it's a, uh, it's a little bit like what, uh, what uh, Truffaut did, mm-hmm. uh, beginning with the 400 blows, you know, just follow blows, the, yeah. uh, the evolution of this one character. And it's just beautiful. I love, I love Ray, his, his, you know, he's not a Bollywood filmmaker. He's a Bengali filmmaker. Filmmaker, His movies are very neorealist and uh, and poetic and beautiful. And the black and white cinematography is just... No songs, no dance routines, no. No, they're lovely. Uh, And then our three Blu-rays here, starting with Mudbound uh, by Therese. Yeah. Why? Why aren't we getting more movies from D. Reese? What is the? You know, there? she's it, the big it, deal. She was the big, the big cheese, and she's just having such a hard time getting these movies made. Yeah, it's just it was a heck of a thing. Pariah, her first film back in uh, 2007, was you know it, it started cut, it cut her loose, and and she made that really good TV movie uh, with Queen Latifah, Bessie, and then and then Mudbound. Uh, uh, and since then, uh, you know, I don't know, but, that, but this this is a thing that, that that can happen sometimes. It's not like she hasn't been working, but it's mostly been in television. Uh, yeah, but in but terms of, like, of of feature films, no, yeah, I feel like like there's there's someone who is just a, a complete filmmaker. She's got the full command of of all the tools, the whole palette. So I mean, if I've got money and I want somebody to make a movie, I'd, I'd go D. What do you want to do? Tell yeah, me what yeah. you want to do. She does have a, uh, one episode of Masters of the Air, which is actually a fairly neat series. It's, oh, that's right. She did really do one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, Mudbound is a, is a is a really really great movie. It's just yeah. absolutely terrific. Uh, it was made for Netflix. They th- thank goodness allowed it to be put out on Blu-ray yeah, by Criterion. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I wish it had gotten a theatrical release, but I understand Netflix were the ones that were willing to put the money up. So there it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, D is all over this thing. This this new documentary and talking about you know the the story and it's this all c- kind of takes place in the 1940s in the Mississippi Delta. Um, uh, you know. Uh, white landowners black tenant farmers and and the uh the 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 entanglement that their relationship has under uh jim crow laws in the south it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's quite a quite a portrait of america of a snapshot of a moment in american history well, that, 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 that moment when young black men uh, jason mitchell in this film who was really great and straight out of compton playing um i think he played easy if i'm not mistaken anyway uh coming back from world war ii with that uniform on expecting a little respect but running yeah. into the and then and so that uh is is, is the center of all of this is a hell of a thing. And the uh, Coen Brothers, Blood Simple, great review, ah, should be on 4K. I don't know why it isn't, but here it is on Blu-ray from Criterion, 1984. Man, yeah, I had to be talking about that today, or last, yeah, whenever, whenever we did the, the radio, it, it, that came up. Uh, and Blood Simple is from that, yeah, I mean, early Coen Brothers, obviously, as early as you can get. Um, but it was from that period when the Coen Brothers movie were were nastier, meaner yeah. than they were funny. And slowly right. over the years they yeah, they, 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 they they switched places. Yeah. And, and I'm like, you know, yeah. by the time you get to the Big Lebowski, they're mostly funny. Uh and it was a little bit of, you know, uh, but it, oh, this, is- dude, this was this was woo <laughs> This is a nasty little movie, dude. 
this is right there with Miller's Crossing as oh, yeah. far as the the intensity of their screenplays. Those two kind of stand apart. And Blood Simple is is a hell of a movie. It's a noir. It's a straight up noir. Yeah. You know, uh, not a comedy. <laughs> not no comedy. comedy. Uh, no Barry Sonnenfeld shot it. He was their DP for their first few films and and uh, did a great job. And he's a big part of their success at this time too. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, you know, they, they all three of them are involved in approving this transfer. So that should put your mind at ease. I just wish it were 4K. But uh, yeah, it, it's just absolutely terrific movie. Wonderful screenplay. Great performances. And um, you know what? Can, what else can you say? I remember Walsh is just his. He's yeah. just a nasty noir detective. He's really great. And then uh, from the uh, f- uh, the Criterion adjacent sister line, Janice Contemporaries, these are the uh, the first-run films that they're now releasing as well. Uh, A Fire, the Christian Petzold film from oh, yeah. last year, which I, you know, it's one of the, this is one of those uh, foreign language films that, that should be eligible for the Oscars, but it's not because the, it's not the official submission of the country. Yeah. But you know what? This should have been eligible. Oh, yeah. I know they're afraid that it'll just be nothing but like French, German and Italian movies or something and, and maybe an occasional Japanese film. But, you know, look, kind of, you got to qualify more movies. They really yeah. do. Yeah. Because um, this is terrific. This is oh, really it, was, it, was, it was really just an extraordinarily executed film with this. Uh, takes place in the Baltic Sea. Yeah. And there is an a fire that's yeah. relevant in the storyline. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know it's a, it's about a forest fire that's uh, that that's uh, you know uh, pushing closer and closer to uh, to our our characters and their proceedings at this holiday uh, getaway in the Baltic Sea. It's a it's it's a, a very very smart, well written film, and it won the Silver Bear at the Berlin Film Festival last year. And, uh, you know, it's worth checking out. De- yeah. Definitely give it a look. Give it a look. See, uh, we got some uh, steel books here and then I'm going to, I'm going to go through some Asian titles cause it's been a while since we've really hit up the, the Welgo library, mm. but we got some, uh, we got some steel books here. Uh, I'll go through this really quickly. Stephen King's maximum overdrive from Vestron mm. video. Um, uh, you know, not, not a great movie, but, uh, it, it take, but, take it on a cult following in the it has taken last four, four years, years or so. Yeah. My, yeah. my favorite, my favorite story of maximum overdrive, Stephen King directed this, yeah. uh, and does have, it's the only film he's ever directed. He has no idea how to direct a movie. No. And there's a story of Stephen King when he got the job to direct it, he put a call in to David Lynch to say, how do I direct a movie? apparently and apparently if i remember the story correctly somebody had told him uh while they were shooting uh you can't do that because you're crossing the line and stephen king said what line uh like he had no idea he had no idea and then he puts the call into david lynch and lynch of course tells him yeah that's stupid cross the line whatever you want (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's the story um, and then we've got Lords of Dogtown uh, yeah. uh, with Emil Hirsch and uh, Heath Ledger and John Robinson basically the you know it's the it's the whole Dogtown story the the how the great skateboard uh, group came together it's a pretty terrific movie directed yeah. by Catherine Hardwick uh, kicked, off her, well kick, kicked off her career yeah, yeah it's very very yeah. very sharp uh, we got Street Fighter with Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, Raul Julia based on the video game beautiful movie yeah, and yeah. also a cult following yeah, that's yeah. a steel book that's a, yeah. that's a- I remember that was, that was the film that when I saw Raul in the film yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, it was, it's dying. You knew, you knew, you know, you knew. You knew. I agree. Uh, yeah. I, I was yeah. like, Oh, he's looking gone. He's got, it's like, a, there, there's yeah. something wrong. There's something, something going on there. Yeah. And then, uh, also, uh, rad, uh, the, uh, the, uh, off-road, uh, motocross oh, yeah. bike movie director. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hal Needham, the great Hal Needham. Yeah. Uh, produced by Jack Schwartzman, Jason Schwartzman's dad. So another kind of Coppola adjacent film this, yeah. this week, also on uh, Steelbook. And then uh, John C. Riley in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which <laughs> continues to be, this is the hardest Steel Ultimate Edition, which uh, continues to be a movie that uh, I, I know so many people who swear this is the funniest movie ever made. Yeah. Now, I don't get it, yeah. but I'm amazed at how many people I know personally who think I could, if I only had this, I don't need any other comedy as long as I live. Tim, yeah. what do you think that is? I don't I, – I, I do not understand. Look, I've, I've, I've gone through this – and it's not that this movie it's, – it's what, it's what I have to call bit funny. Yeah, there, are these, exactly. there are these bits in them, but, but, but it's this – no. I, I, there are people who, who talk about this movie in, uh, in juxtaposition to Spinal Tap. And I'm like, you're, you're insane. <laughs> this, no. This, this is, no, that's uh, – anyway. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's a, it's a bit of a – Kind of a spoof of the uh, the whole um, uh, uh, Johnny uh, Cash, Johnny Cash yeah. biopic deal. Yeah, I mean, you know, written by Judd Apatow and Jake Kasdan, directed by Jake Kasdan. Uh, and I, I like both those guys. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I get it. Some people love this movie. They love yeah. it like crazy. Well, it's funny because they're kind of biting mostly. This has less to do with what's going on in Spinal Tap than it does with what's going on in any given oh yeah. airplane, uh, naked gun, uh, that kind of stuff. It's, it's more yeah. it's more in line with that than it is you know Spinal Tap. So I'm gonna, I'm going to roll through some Wellgo movies here. Wellgo has has continued to put out not just a great a lot of great Asian stuff, and I'm going to get to that here soon too, but uh, a lot of great kind of first run stuff. A lot of which makes its way into theaters and it's it's uh it's it's all over the map it's all kinds of you know it's mostly kind of genre e or genre adjacent thrillers and things of that sort but boy they they're really really uh getting some sharp films and giving them really good releases on uh, on blu-ray uh and the first one here is a creature was stirring dot 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 <laughs> and, and it wasn't a mouse uh no this is this is sharp this is one of those films that gets a little bit of a short shrift because it doesn't have any stars in it yeah um but you know uh these people raised money and they they, and they put this thing together it is a really really sharp movie um this is kind of a i mean i don't want to call it a hillbilly noir that's kind of that, that's sort of insulting in a way but but that's sort of what it is i mean it you know this this actress chrissy metz is amazing Man, who's in, is, 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 uh, this is us right that's her I think she's still, is she on This Is Us? I think yeah. What This Is Us? Yeah, 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 yeah. And she's on This Is Us. She's the big, she's the big gal on This Is Us. Big gal, the big gal. Yeah, she's big. She's great. She's uh. She's she's a mom and she's named Faith, which is a bit of a giveaway here. Um, but she's uh, you know she's got this uh, this daughter and she's you know the daughter is is messed up and we don't quite know why. And so she's got her daughter all drugged up, and next thing you know, uh oh, it's Christmas. And in a and in a in a in a weird twist on Home Alone, you got a couple of burglars who break into the house, and oh my goodness, it becomes Home Alone without a kid and without jokes and with lots of violence. <laughs> yeah, it's like Home Alone, the the real version. Holy cow! 
Um, super, super good movie, though. Really yeah. just tight and well done and well put together. Uh, and then we got uh, Jared Moshe's Aporia. Reality is a continuum. Uh, Judy Greer is in this and uh, does a fantastic job. She's the she's basically the main. She's the, the closest thing to a star that they've got in this. I've always loved Judy Greer. I've, oh my god! Yeah, Judy. Great. I always played the girl next door, the, the girlfriend of I the know. girl who's the lead. And I always, every time I saw Judy Greer, Greer, I always thought to myself, she should be the lead of this movie. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, totally yeah, true. Yeah, but you know, there you totally go. true. Well, this is a this is a really interesting kind of a weird genre movie. Uh, she's a, she's a widow. And um, it feels like a total straight up kind of, uh, you know, indie drama until it gets into this whole like time machine thing. And it's not a typical time travel movie. It's about a time machine that can uh, that can bend time. It's not like time travel. It's time bending. And it, mm-hmm. there's re- there's actual physics to this. And it, the way they describe it in the film, like one side of my brain is going, uh, it's that I'm not buying it. But the other side of my brain is going, no, that could work. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was weird. It was weird. But um, really a smart screenplay. Uh, Jared Moshe wrote and directed it. Did a, does a great job. Very, very sharp film. Aporia. Super mm-hmm. worth checking out. Um Movie called Mercy Road with Toby Jones and Luke Bracey. Um, kind of a, you know, this is a, I mean, it's a crime film and, and it's, it's a, you know, like a, it's a person on the run movie. Um, mm-hmm. it's sort of, uh, hits most of the beats of that until you get to this really kind of weird psycho twist in this thing. And, um, there's like a there's a like series of strange phone calls and you know it's it's a really it's it's a it, it's a it's a sharp script and um it, it, because it has a parent trying to save a child angle to the story it goes in some directions that you don't expect it to go and so I'm going to be a little bit uh, circuitous here in describing anything further but really really interesting movie Mercy Road very interesting psychological thriller stat slash crime film. Mm. Mm. Um, we got a DVD, not a Blu-ray, but a DVD of uh, Crocodile Island, Edge of the World. There's a reason why they didn't do this one on Blu-ray. <laughs> it's not very good. Um, it is a, it's a, it's a, you know, Chinese film that uh, just kind of does what a lot of modern Chinese films do, which is try to imitate Hollywood blockbusters and do it in a really creepy way. And uh, this is people who just they crash land their plane in the Bermuda Triangle and the island is filled with crocodiles and they're, <laughs> you know, Jurassic crocodile. Um, but I guess there's a following for that kind of thing. Uh, Your Lucky Day. Did you ever see this? This thing, I think, got a, got a theatrical release. Your Lucky Day with uh, Angus Cloud and uh, Sterling Bowman, Jason Mara. This is at all. It's a Dan Brown film, right? About the lottery ticket. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Guy, guy got a guy gets a. It's it's it, it's about how you know, don't buy lottery tickets if you don't want to fight with your friends and, and have everything go south. That's the message here. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Because uh, there's 156 million at stake, and uh, yeah, the lottery ticket just kind of launches this whole. This whole fascinating uh, rivalry and and fight and hostage situation and it's it, it's a uh, it's pretty intense. It's yeah, uh, you know, yeah, it's good. 
It's good. Uh, haven't bought a lottery ticket since watching it. <laughs> okay. At least not, not one that I'm going to share with anybody. Uh, how many Mandalores are there? Is it just the two? Oh my! Uh, Costas, Lewis. Lewis. Oh my! I hope I, I, I hope you're only those two. But yeah, you know. I always get them mixed up. I, I always get those two mixed up. Uh, this one is Lewis Mandalore. Yeah, and Lewis Mandalore, Cowboy Cherone, and Quentin Jackson, otherwise known as Rampage Jackson. Oh yeah, three, three days in Malay. Rampage was a movie I wrote. This is yeah. This is a this is a World War II movie. This is all about uh, the United States Marines uh, fighting one of their famous battles in uh, in Malay during World War II uh, during the Operation Watchtower event. And uh, that's all it is. It's it's like a classic old John Wayne style heroic World War II battle movie. Guys in impossible facing impossible odds, holding down the outpost. Japanese, you know, fighting the daylights out of them. Um, and it's fine. Uh, you know, uh, Lewis Mandalore directed this as well. Oh, no, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he's not bad. I mean, it's not like, you know, he's not going to win an, As- an Oscar or anything, but it's fine. Yeah. Perfectly, perfectly serviceable. Um, got, uh, let's see, five more here. All of them really worth talking about. Yeah. Uh, Kill Shot. Um, a little bit, a little cheesy. But an, a very attractive cast, so I can I can forgive it. Um, it. All takes place in Montana, which you know, like nobody isn't it funny. Certain states are they just if if a movie takes place in Florida, people are having a good time. Yeah. If a movie <laughs> takes place in Montana, something's no. going wrong. Yeah, no one ever has a good time in Montana. Yeah. They get lost in the mountains. Or some yeah. pedophile locks them in a cage or something. Things yeah. go south in Montana. It's going to involve long guns. I can promise you that. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, well, anyway, Rob Hill, uh, Rib Hillis, I guess is the actor's name. Rib Hillis uh, is on a hunting trip in Montana. Now, Rib Hillis is also both a wilderness guide and a former Navy SEAL. Yeah. And you know that when you have those kinds of credentials, trouble follows you. <laughs> and, uh, of course, there's, you know, uh, they, there's like a, they, they stumble across some money and there's gang that wants the money and then everything goes south. Uh, but, uh, no, no, it's, it's, uh, it's very well done. It's a good, solid thriller. You pretty much know everything that's going to happen, but that's okay. Mm. That's fine with some of these movies if the, if the cast is attractive. Uh, Brandon Vera, who kind of uh, wants to be Ving Rhames, uh, he's like a you know he's trying to steal Ving Rhames' look, stars in Day Zero, which mm. is a zombie movie, and um, it's a reasonably serviceable zombie movie. We've had so many zombie movies that I think they all sort of blur together at a certain point. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, he's, he's like a, he's, he, he's kind of a Ving Rames wannabe and he's being chased by zombies at some point in the future when, uh, he's gotten out of prison and civilization has just succumbed to some horrible, horrible virus. And, uh, and there it is. Yeah. He's, yeah. It's a zombie. He, he, he too is a former elite soldier. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that always comes in handy. You know, yeah. I, I'm a former soldier, but there's nothing elite about me. Just, just once, I want all of this stuff to go down and for the person in, in charge to be like a high school music teacher. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, yeah. Like, uh, like, oh, crap, I don't know what to do. I, I teach, I teach band, man. I teach band. I've never touched a gun in my life. What am I supposed to do? Zombies are chasing me. Terrorists are chasing me. I don't know what to do. 
Like, I want to see the story with that guy. Uh, Mr. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Dreyfus from Mr. Holland's Opus. <laughs> we go. Well, that's right. Just, let's throw it to him, see what goes down. Oh, my goodness. We got an animated film here called Goodbye Monster, A Magical Adventure. Uh, which is, which is, you know, serviceable. Um, it, this is, you know, all Chinese animation and, uh, they cut corners like crazy and don't really have the, the, the know-how to do this right. Mm. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, I guess if you, if you like, uh, foreign animation and you like things that deal with the sort of the mystical aspect of Chinese mythology, you'll probably be able to, to get with it. But I, it's, it's, you know, goodbye monster. It's all right. It's not, not amazing. Uh, let's see. Last two here. Last two, uh, well go tiles. Warhorse one with Johnny Strong and Athena Derner. I know you don't know who Johnny Strong or Athena Derner are, but they are, they're good actors. They are absolutely good. You know what? It's another SEAL team thing. Mm. They're all SEALs. They're all retired SEALs mm. or former SEALs here. Uh, but no, this is sharp. This is, uh, this takes place right after the, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan in 2021. And, um, it's, uh, you know, there's a SEAL helicopter that, uh, is shot down and the last guy on it is kind of caught behind enemy lines and, uh, has to save this little Afghan girl. And there it is. That's, that's the story basically. It's an action thing. It's a little bit ridiculous, but it is very, very well done. And uh, and Johnny Strong, who you know, uh, yeah. who co-wrote and co-directed it and stars in it, is is pretty. He's got some chops, you know. So I hope this guy gets some other opportunities as well. Yeah. And then the last one here, you may have seen this because I'm pretty sure this got a theatrical release as well. Is Bone Cold, and the uh, I love the I love the tagline here. Sometimes we make our own demons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Billy, Billy, that Billy Hansen movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another, another, another Black Ops guy. Another guy. Yeah, another one of these things. You know, I think that those camouflage suits must be really inexpensive. <laughs> uh, so they you know, buy a camouflage suit. Yeah, yeah. This is about this is about a couple of snipers who uh, they're given bad intel and then they. Uh, they, you know, wind up realizing that there, there's like a, I mean, it's basic, basically like Predator. It's almost a Predator kind of story. But they realize that there's something, there's something after them. Something's chasing them. And uh, it doesn't have the budget of Predator, but it's a similar, it's got a kind of a similar vibe. And mm. uh, it's, it's, it's well put together. I mean, you know, somebody got a budget and they had some chops and they, they made things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Gosh, we've got so many other things here that we've got. Oh, you know yeah. what? Um. Here we we should we should we should make mention of this because Imprint is a uh, is a wonderful line of uh, classic titles from Australia, mm. and we are really grateful because they release a lot of stuff that our companies our labels don't get to. They just they they stuff and and these guys they love movies. Imprint is a great label, and uh, so we've got a relationship with Imprint, and uh, they're like, yeah, we'll send you our stuff. You know, you yeah. can buy it in the U.S. It's region free. Go for it. So I'm going to start with. Lenny, freaking Lenny, where is our amazing, like, collectible Criterion Blu-ray of Lenny? I don't know where it is, but Bob Fosse directing Dustin Hoffman mm. uh, in one of the great biopics of all time. Yeah. Very hard to, to do a classic stand-up comic and do him justice. And, boy, I'll tell you, Dustin Hoffman nails it. He, he yeah. is Lenny Bruce. He is Lenny Bruce. And uh, he, he completely inhabits the part. It's a terrific film. 
And uh, the the company, the the over the umbrella company for the imprint line, by the way, is Via Vision. But imprint is the line, like their Criterion line, and uh, it's absolutely terrific. Um, wonderful Blu-ray from uh, from imprint. Look for it on Amazon or wherever you buy your Blu-rays. We also have Diamond Head. Uh, with Charlton Heston, Yvette yeah. Mignot, George Shakiris, Franz Nguyen, and James Darren. What a great all-star cast that is. From 1962, great year, year of Lawrence of Arabia and The Longest Day and so many other great films. Mm. Uh, this one gets lost in the mix sometimes, but directed by Guy Green, based on a great novel by Peter Gilman. Uh, really, really terrific movie. Uh, screenplay by Marguerite Roberts. And I, I have to say, Franz Nguyen, is still alive. She's yeah. a therapist now. Did you yeah. know that? She's a I did not know that. I did She's not know that. Still alive. She has a second career as a, as a therapist and one of the most beautiful women of all time. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, not just great in this movie, but great when she kisses Captain Kirk. And I was going to say, what, what is it? What, yeah, what's, what's the name of that episode? Yeah, yeah it's the line. And yeah. absolutely terrific in the season premiere of season two of Charlie's Angels, Angels in Paradise. Oh, my gosh. As yeah. the as the, uh, the Hawaiian mobster's wife who kidnaps Charlie. And then she shows up in a bikini. Yeah. She is in her 40s, and she rivals the angels who are all in their 20s. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just going to say, and I love Franz Nguyen as a mom in the Joy Luck Club. I am. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, she's a of the planet of the angels. Oh, because it's great. Thing. All, all the way back to South Pacific. So, yes. She, yeah, well, she, I had no idea she, she was a therapist now. That's amazing. Yeah. She steals this movie, and she and George Shakiris are both still alive. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, George, of course. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Also from Imprint, uh, The Man in Half Moon Street with uh, Nils Aster and Helen Walker. Um, a, a very cool, long-forgotten noir, totally rediscovered, 1945. Um, it's, it's, it's like a noir science fiction thing. It's really terrific. And the premise is that you've got a, you've got a guy who discovers that as long as he does this surgery every 10 years, he can be immortal. Mm -hmm. He's got to find unwilling donors, though. Right? Yeah. So it's gotta, like gotta it's those little, lands, baby. <laughs> little Frankenstein, a little yeah. bit of film noir, and uh, and then you kind of throw in this great romantic twist, and it's it's a good movie. The Man in Half Moon Street. Really cool flick. And then lastly, uh, Stephen Boyd, Michael Redgrave, Leo McKern uh, in Assignment K, mm. uh, which is another one of those those really cool, like, 60s era spy things. Uh, it, it's pretty great. Oh, the, yeah. I mean, they're all kind of quasi-James Bond adjacent, right? Everything's kind of stepping in the Bond uh the, in the Bond realm at this point, but it's really cool. It's uh, like we were talking earlier. Why isn't it ever a band leader? Okay, so this is a guy who runs a toy company, but he also happens to be the head of a British spy operation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, you know, it it doesn't quite cut it. But anyway, uh, yeah. no, no. He has to. He, it's it, it's a uh, it's it's a it's a cool James Bond kind of. Val Guest. Val Guest is is. I'm speaking about well, the the day the the Earth caught fire. He wrote that, but he was also an uncredited writer. Speaking of Bond, on uh, Casino Royale. Oh, I did. I did not know that. Yes, he is uncredited. Really, uncredited, 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 uncredited. Oh, look Val at that. Just, so it makes total sense. Yeah. 
Makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Um, I'd like to get through. Hang on. Because uh, there are like, a lot of these one-offs that are worth mentioning. This is a really interesting thing. Let me just put a put a a, a poke in for this from the National Film Board of Canada. Um, Alanis, and I'm going to mutilate this. Obamsawin. <laughs> okay. This is I know this is uh, this is really interesting. So this the, three languages, by the way, on all, all parts of this, a legacy, um, and then you know they've got like when you go on the back and and there's the there's the summary. It's in three <laughs> languages: in English and in French and in Cree. Because mm. this is a, as they say in Canada, First Nations. This is a First, first Nations, Nations okay. thing. It's twelve. It's twenty-one films on twelve discs. Oh wow! Um, all of them by Alanis Obamsawan, who is. Who's a a First Nations uh, female filmmaker in Canada, and um, most of these films have probably never been seen in the United States. Mm. But because they're they're really serious about you know trying to do right, not always successful, but they're very serious about trying to do right by an often abused population in Canada, which lives in some very very remote places. Finding these these filmmakers and doing right by them is is uh, is very interesting. So um, there's this is a this is a wonderful immersion mm. in the world of a particular filmmaker, but a particular culture, a particular place, a particular people. And uh, I, I there's a lot here. I haven't watched all 21 films. Watched about 10 of them, but it's, it's all over the place. It's just wonderful. And um, hopefully, you know, some they, we get some more attention on this. And uh, the National Film Board of Canada is doing some some really great work, and this is part of it. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let me see what else we've got here. You want to do some, want to do some news or some docs? Uh, oh, let's do the docs. We got some docs here. Yeah, let's do the docs. As you just mentioned, uh, yeah, uh, she's a Native American and imagining, imagining the Indian. <clears throat> yeah. I think I see on that list there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, no, this is great. This is, and this is really interesting now because obviously the Chiefs just, <laughs> just won the, yeah. won the, uh, won the Super Bowl again. Did you see what, what, uh, what Lily, our, our soon to be best actress Academy Lily Award winner, what Lily Gladstone said about this it was very interesting. No. A parsed a thing. She says, I don't really have a problem with the title, the Chiefs. I think it's a perfectly fine title, name for a team. It's okay mm. called the Chiefs. Just don't do the tomahawk chop. Mm-hmm. It's the it was the chop in the stands that bothered her, not mm-hmm. the name of the team. Mm-hmm. And I, that was that's interesting. And anyway, you got, you've seen the film. Go on. Well, no, it, it, it's, it's it's an interesting exploitation of of, of that uh, the, the Native Americans and their in their relationship to sports culture here in the United States. Many of the sports that we play here in the United States have their roots in Native American culture, but you wouldn't know that uh, it, it, in, in the way that they're sort of high line and lacrosse and the uh, and these other things. And of course, many. Uh, extremely important sports figures have been Native American. Who we didn't, you know, we, we uh, Jim Thorpe. Yeah. We, you know, we, we go, we go straight to Jim, and and, and you know, and we and we more or less, and we more or less stop there. So this is a fascinating exploration of all of those things with respect to the logos and the names of franchises and the actual human beings yeah. who who brought us and invented and participated in some of these sports and, uh, and without being recognized. They're very interesting stuff very interesting stuff um yeah it is it is it is fascinating and what's interesting to me too is that you know the washington redskins got uh, you know finally were forced to abandon their, yeah. their name they're the commanders now and now there is another group a native american group that is suing 
to have the name Redskins restored because they feel that they have now been erased from culture because it was a Native American artist who designed the logo and all this stuff. So it's uh, it continues to be really – we're not going to be through this debate anytime soon. Mm, um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good doc. Uh, the Book of Hearth, H-A-R-T-H, by uh, Pierre Guillet, uh, is, a, is a kind of a weird doc. Mm. Here's what it's about. This guy, uh, David Greg Harth, H-A-R-T-H, it took the, for 20 years, he carried this Bible around mm-hmm. to get, to get it signed by famous people. And, yeah. and, and, and he goes to the most outrageous extremes to, to get this thing signed. And this doc was shot during the last year of that quest. So it's not like this has been 20 years in the making. This is just the last year of him trying to get that Bible signed and going, you know, finding his way to the, wherever and, and through whatever appearance and red carpet and celebrity, whatever. And, and the people that he, that he is able to get, uh, signatures from. And the thing is, I mean, as entertaining as this is, there doesn't appear to be any rhyme or reason to it. It's like, oh, Noam Chomsky's in town? That's good. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, Kevin, Kevin Smith? I'll go get Kevin Smith. Yeah. Why would you, wait, wait, I mean, Kevin Smith and Noam Chomsky? Like, what's the, I don't know, is there a through line or are you just going for anybody who, who has uh, it's, 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 Look, uh, John Waters, uh, uh, yeah. you, you know, Paul Schrader, um, a, a theme. No, no, don't see a theme, but whatever, dude. Through line. But it's a, it's quite a thing to watch. Uh, and then, then last one, a uh, dance doc called Rookies, which is about a, uh, a Parisian high school, um, that, uh, that is, that is, is basically, it's not one of those New York arts. It's not like fame. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, what it's doing is it's taking a, a bunch of hip hop dancers from the surrounding kind of immigrant areas in Paris, which are really tough neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it brings them into this uh, kind of arts program in this school. And this is, you know, follows them over the course of uh, a full year and how they are able to sort of balance the the dance aspect of their their uh, curriculum with the academics and um it's 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 a really you know if i mean i'm very close to these kinds of because i've lived in some pretty tough places in france and mm. so i know i these these immigrant neighborhoods and i know these kids i know what i've been around these kids i've you know been in the homes of these kids and so um it, it's it's uh it's a very, very interesting look at, at, at what sometimes feels too much like a like a dead end life. And mm. it can be really tough if you're part of that population in Paris. But yet there's hope through between the lines. And it's uh, it's very, very nice. And it's really well done. It's done by the uh, same filmmakers who made uh, the um, uh, Reset documentary, which is all about Benjamin Milpier, the, mm. the, the, the uh, choreographer who's who's uh who isn't isn't it Milpier isn't he married to Natalie Portman now yeah yes exactly yeah. yeah yeah so anyway um or maybe are they getting divorced i think they're getting divorced i, no, I can't keep up with hollywood people anyway this is from Icarus home video it's a good doc it is called rookies uh i got some uh chinese hong kongy asian stuff sort of all over the map here so let me uh let me burn through as many of these as i can in the little bit of time we have left jackie chan in a uh, movie by larry yang called ride on uh i you know 
I've interviewed Jackie a number of times. I Jackie, I revered his career right up until uh, the Rush Hour films. Man, I, he's just he's got a. He kept saying, "I'm just going to give it up at a certain point and direct, and I'll find the next Jackie Chan." But he's not doing that, and I wish, <laughs> I really wish he would. Um, the, the he's a he's a he's a washed up stuntman here. That part I like because <laughs> yeah. because he's playing with that here. And, yeah, and some and some and some debt collectors uh, repossess his favorite stunt horse. And uh, that is supposed to be the beginning of a really kind of funny Jackie Chan comedy. Yeah. Uh, it's not funny, though. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, unfortunate, it unfortunate. Doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Um, got a Japanese film here, Bad City. It's a newish Yakuza movie. This is from Wellgo. I like it. Um, you know, it, it's a totally overdone genre, but, uh, no, I like this. I, it, it, it has a, um, a, um, a John Wick kind of vibe to it. It's almost as if some of the Japanese filmmakers saw John Wick and thought, we invented that genre. We can do that better. So they, uh, they, they, they go for it. It is, it's, uh, but it's more of a, it's more plotty. It's really, yeah. there's a really interesting, um, Kind of, kind of uh, yakuza versus Korean organized crime thing going on, and uh, anyway, I, I I think this is a sharp film. I really enjoyed it. I thought it's very very cool. Um, eye for an eye, not the Chuck Norris movie. Yeah. Oh, by the way, have you watched Shogun, the new Shogun? Have you seen any episodes? I, I, I just, of course, you know, I'm a big fan of the James Clavell 1980, whatever it was, adap- adaptation with uh, with uh, Chamberlain. Richard Chamberlain and whatnot. Yeah. But I have, but I have not cracked open the new the new one yet. I'm told the perspective is reversed, of course, and, yes. and, and, and we're telling the story from from the from from the perspective of the of, of the uh, you know, of, of the Japanese. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I uh, David Weishart watched the first two episodes. Said it's amazing. So ah. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be all over that uh, tonight. I'm gonna do that as soon as we're we're done here. I'm gonna go in and jump in those. I've, I'm recording it, so I've got the. It's like first two episodes are, you know, it's gonna be about a three hour epic. So I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna sit down and get myself some snacks and and just enjoy that until the wee hours of the morning. Um. So yeah, no, this is a uh, this movie is Eye for an Eye, the Blind Swordsman. There's yeah. a Chuck Norris movie called Eye for an Eye, not this one. I like the Chuck Norris Eye for an Eye quite a lot. Professor Tanaka is in it, uh, has one of my favorite lines in all of moviedom, where, uh, <laughs> where I shouldn't even do this on the show, but Professor Tanaka was wearing like Herman Munster shoes in that thing. Uh, <laughs> at a certain point, he, he looks at Chuck Norris. I won't tell you what precedes this. You can kind of use your imagination. <laughs> and Professor Tanaka, just so everybody knows, he was starred as a wrestler. Yeah. He, he fights in movies. He's terrific, but he almost never has dialogue because it doesn't come off well. And in this, he looks at Chuck Norris and he goes, uh, 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 your woman would be good. <laughs> and uh, that's the line. Uh, yeah. And then Chuck proceeds to just do a slow motion flying yeah. kick and, and wipe him up. Oh, but yeah. uh, that would never happen. Tanaka would snap. It would snap Chuck Norris in two <laughs> just, <laughs> with one hand and like a like a like a like a twig. Uh, anyway, this this is more like the blind swordsman of the uh, of the old um, Shaw Brothers films, and uh, done you know modern style. But it's uh, no, this is very very sharp. It's nicely put together. There's a great. Uh, there's a there's a kind of a great uh, pseudo noir angle to it. 
which involves kind of a medieval bounty hunter. And um, it, it's, it's a good script. It's a good script. Eye for an Eye. This was originally aired on the Haya channel. It's a Haya original. Yeah, yeah. Eye for an Eye, the Blind Swordsman. Uh, let me uh, pull a couple more out of here. Let's see. Uh, all right. Here, I'll do these. Um, Creepy Crawly. Unmask the monster. Mm. This is this is a um, is is this? I, let me, this is Thai. That's right. I, I wasn't sure if this was Vietnamese or Thai. This is a Thai monster movie, and it's pretty well done. It's it's scary as hell. The the the, the ghost stories from Thailand always really mm-hmm. creep me out. I've seen a few of them, and uh, this is this one really is just creepy, creepy, creepy. So. Um, it makes you not want to go to Thailand on a vacation. I'll be honest with that because it takes place at a hotel where the guests just start disappearing. And apparently there's a, um, there's a monster in the hotel. Great. Let's book our next vacation to Bangkok. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, the flying swordsman, which is only on DVD, not on Blu-ray, uh, is a wonderful kind of, uh, wuxia film. It's um, it's it's a it's in Mandarin, so it's you know it's a mainland film. It's not a Hong Kong film, but it has Hong Kong wuxia sensibilities to it. Yeah, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, you know there's a there's kind of it's sort of a western in a way. Uh, there's a you know there's a, a hidden fortune, a kind of treasure of a Sierra Madre thing that's that's going on, and um, people looking for it, and you know roving assassins and whatnot. I mean, you know, a spaghetti western or traditional western. It has that kind of a vibe, but it's done wuxia style. Yeah, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The Flying Swordsman, out for revenge. Some great, great action staging. And uh, then I'll just do these last three here, and then we'll close out the show. Oh no, no, I'm going to do this one too. Hold yeah, on. yeah. I got, it. I got, it. I got. Some, there's some. It's too much good stuff, right? Too much good stuff. Hold on. All right. Here we go. So The Moon is a uh, Korean film by Kim Yong-hwa. And uh, Korean films, of course, getting much more attention here. This is a Mm. uh, this almost sounds hilarious, but it's not. It's really good. Visual effects are terrific. So bear with me here. Because I'm going to actually read the synopsis. Try not to laugh. I know you're going to laugh. And, and so don't, you're going to laugh. Seven years after Korea's first fully manned mission to the moon ends in disaster, a second human space flight is launched successfully until a strong solar wind causes the spacecraft to malfunction. With an astronaut left stranded in space and quickly running out of oxygen, the Naro Space Center turns to its former managing director to avert yet another fatal catastrophe. Now, the whole premise of there being these multiple Korean manned expeditions to, to yeah. the moon yeah. is truly ridiculous in that phrasing. I wish they'd have gotten somebody else to write this. Yeah. It's very credible, the way that this takes place. But the, the, the staging of it, the special effects, the action – is terrific. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it's, terrific. It, it, it's all set thirty years in the future, and it, 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 look, we did the thing on Mar- what's the, 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 the thing with Mars with, with Matt Damon, where we left the Martian, we had, the, Martian. Yeah, the Martian, and we had to go back and get him. So yeah, no, it's, yeah. Uh, but but you know the thing is, look, uh, not to be rude or anything, but Korea is never going to land on the moon. <laughs> not, not, 
they are the problem. Too fixated on boy bands and girl bands. Yeah, boy bands, girl <laughs> bands, and North Korea. <laughs> and yes, in North Korea, and keep doing that because let me tell you something. I went to the premiere of Madam Web. I also have been oh, yeah. about Madam Web for for weeks now. One of my uh, Substacks at, at Hollywood Heretic is also about Madam Web. But I went to the premiere. Did I, I don't think I told you this, did I? So I got yeah. to the premiere at the Village, which is now owned by Jason. Well, Rush, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome in Hollywood. Yeah. And I so I go to the premiere. And I come out, and I'm like, this is the worst, most horrible thing I've ever seen. I'm going to go to my car. And I'm getting ready to walk to my car, and I hear people on the opposite side of the street in front of the Bruin Theater screaming. Oh, my gosh. They're behind the ropes, and the the guards are holding them back. They're screaming. And I'm like, okay, is it is it is it that Sweeney girl? Like, what, what, <laughs> There's nobody in this movie. You should be screaming. Oh, there we go. Korean boy band. Oh, yeah, yeah. Korean boy band invited to the screening, getting more attention than anybody actually in Madam Web. <laughs> so the Korean boy band walks across the street, starts signing autographs. Oh, well, you know, sweet boys, sweet boys, but yeah, better, better, better than the movie. So much better than the movie. Absolutely unbelievable. Uh, so here, this is the last one that I'll make. Uh, Quick mention of Wolfpack, uh, Max Zhang and Arif Lee. So just a, a little bit of, to preface this, the, the one thing the Chinese are doing is making super, super jingoistic, nationalistic mm. um, films that are all about how China is going to just uh, kick the United States' ass and conquer the world and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, rah-rah China. Because they're trying to do the John Wayne thing, right? They're trying to do the, the whole thing that we've that we perfected. Uh, it doesn't work very well, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. But they, mm-hmm. they claim that these movies make a ton of money. Anyway, Wolfpack is one of those. And, uh, it's, you know, there's a, it's a, it's a guy's looking, trying to solve the mystery of his father's death. And, you know, there's a group of mercenaries and, uh, there's a whole, you know, international conspiracy against China, blah, blah, blah. It's all, none of it really makes any sense. It's not well written. The action is, is, is uh, ridiculous. It's like Michael Bay unleashed without any discipline. And that, like, less discipline than he already uses. But anyway, um, but somehow, in all of its excess, if you can get past the total propaganda nature of it, it's kind of entertaining. Well, they're well made. They're, it's not like they don't have the resources or the capability or the expertise to make high-energy, fast-paced, big action films with big special effects. They can do that, and they and they and they, and they can execute the hell out of all of that narratively. Look, they're doing. They're they're telling the stories they're telling. I'm not going to get in their faces about it because you know we do it too. Yes, precisely. Exactly so. Very much so. All right. Well, that does it for today. Uh, for this show, we are uh, we are done here. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We will be back shortly. And, and hopefully, you know, again, tune into my Substack and yeah. uh, and read some of my stuff at uh, hollywoodheretic.substack.com. Um, sign up for, you know, be a free subscriber or a paid subscriber, whatever whatever you want. Uh, and then hopefully we'll have uh, – so we, we, we've been working on some stuff. We'll have oh, yeah. announcements coming up soon, won't we, Tim? Oh, yeah, yeah. Some, some interesting stuff. Some, yeah, 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 me, you, Mark, uh, and uh, some interesting people to talk to, too. So all of this stuff is going to kind of come together. You'll be able to find it in all of these very interesting different places. Great. We will have that news hopefully soon. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll uh, have, a, have, a, have a great Academy Award week. Uh, yeah. We'll be back after that with our uh, our thoughts, obviously, on the winners, the losers, and what it all means. Yeah, we'll tell you what we think of uh, Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> after, it wins, after it wins, it's 20 hours. This is ridiculous. There you go. All yeah. right. Bye, everybody.